And it came to pass in the third year of the desert war that Paul Moadib lay alone in the cave of birds beneath the Kiswa hangings of an inner cell. And he lay as one dead, caught up in the revelation of the water of life. His being translated beyond the boundaries of time by the poison that gives life. Thus was the prophecy made true that the Lisan al-Gayim might be both dead and alive. From Collected Legends of Arrakis by the Princess Irulan. Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. And Mike, I mean, we don't got too many buzzed book clubs to have left, do we? You shut your mouth. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. There's there's another book. There's another (laughs) book. There's another book. But we're coming in. I got another rosé. I only got a few more left. Yeah. This one, Mike, I I was tickled when I saw it. It doesn't match the chapter at all. I got got nothing to uh, tie this into. Um, Maybe maybe we can can draw our own uh, parallel to it. We can certainly make it up as we go along and say we deliberately did this. But I chose Band of Roses or Band of Rosés, if you will. Uh, it just says, you know, little rockin'. It's got a little drum set on it with the rose on the front cover of it. Love it's it. Cool love little it. black and white there. Uh, and it's right at Washington State, which is obviously always perfect for Dune, being right. that Dune was started up in the on the Oregon coast. When yeah. It is dealing with those eroding peach dunes. That's right. Yeah. Fun. Why don't you uh, take a little sip of this? Let me sure. know how it is. Because, like, for me, it's um very much like a white. I think kind there's of, more white than there is red in there. <laughs> it's got, it's got like, I think they forgot to add the red. It's got a strong tang to it. Oh, it's really good though. I like, like it a lot. It's got that dry. I would taste, definitely say it tastes more like a white though. Mm-hmm. Just like it, just like a Chardonnay. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't have that that rosé flair as much as I love, but not our. I love lines. it. I think it's great. It's gonna go great as we move through this chapter. <laughs> Uh, I got a little bit of information to share as well. Oh, good, because I'm always ready to jump ahead. We got a new Spice Worlder on Patreon. Oh, another Patreon? Yep. So coming in at our Sappho Juice enthusiasts. Sappho Juice is the best. Sappho Juice. Those purple lips. We have Neil Namara. Neil Namara. Yeah. Welcome. uh, Welcome. Yeah, he he says that he's a big fan of the pot, obviously, if you know you're becoming a Spice Worlder. (laughs) And uh, he's read Dune 15 times. Oh, my God. It's going to give me a run for my money. Yeah, right. I thought that you were impressive, Derek. You don't got shit. I I yield my title. But uh, he loves that we have like a, a humorous flair on it, and he can't wait to get into our B2D episodes. So oh, he's going to enjoy those. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You got a favorite one you'd recommend to him to go listen to first? I mean, I'm a big... Oh. Oh, I know. I put you on the spot. Oh. I'm leading I, Amp- I wanna, Ampoleros. I like the Ampoleros a lot, but uh, I d- I'm curious to see what he thinks of our singing voices in uh, Trip to Gamon. Come on. I yeah. forgot that we, <laughs> we yeah. did the whole song. The I regret song. that episode. <laughs> I, regret, I regret none of my voices. <laughs> my voice. I had to sit through us like poorly singing. Oh, no. <laughs> mm. Uh-uh. That's fantastic. But uh, Neil McNamara, welcome. This episode's for you, sir. 
<gasps> now, I don't know if this is going to sound any differently, but this is the first week we've moved our studio. <gasps> yeah, yeah, we're on the we're in my neck of the woods now. Yeah. <laughs> this is my home turf. I'm taking the bus now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I get to stay. <laughs> you get to, well, you get to walk away from the mess. That's <laughs> yeah, true. I'll, that pick, is true. I'll pick everything up. <laughs> this disaster that we leave behind us. So let us know if uh, if we're doing something right here. If it sounds a little different, you'll know why. Yeah. Now, uh, one last uh, wine note, actually, too, Mike. Oh. Uh, so way back, we were talking when we started this book. It was in uh, book one, a few chapters in. We had uh, seen some wines, and I told you we were saving one wine for a special chapter. Yeah. And it was that blue-eyed boy wine. I told you we were going to wait until Paul had a really strong spice hit. This would have been the chapter. Oh. But then we changed our whole setup. We're going like, rosés and this, and right, kind of our right. wine for the book, so we couldn't get blue-eyed boy for it. But this is what it was. So... In maybe, celebration, maybe for though. a special Piter episode, we'll do that. <laughs> oh yeah, we can come back. But we'll come back. I did light a cinnamon candle for us. <laughs> we are. <laughs> I was wondering why there was a lit candle. I was like, so I don't. This is why we moved to your place. Well, back then I told you we were going to go full on cinnamon. We were going <laughs> to yeah. try to get like a cinnamon drink and yada yada. But uh, clearly, none of that really helped through. But <laughs> clearly, we forgot about everything. But anyway. we got here, and I got a candle. So. I love it. Well done, sir. Thank you. Thank you. With that, let's move in. Uh, we got a chapter. Now, I get to ask you my favorite question, and I feel like you're going to be able to answer this one, but uh, how does this chapter apply, or this quote apply to the chapter, <laughs> oh, Mike? God. How do you uh, fit this one in? Oh, man, I don't even know. It's really shoehorned, I know. Yeah, so, I mean, it's pretty much just saying this is the legend that's told. This is, uh, oh, God, what was his name? Paul? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the Fedaikin that was uh, there. Otham. Otham. Uh, this is going to be the legend that, like, he sort of started by accident. Like, it's going to turn into this. Yes, I like it. That the, This is the collected legends of Arrakis. So and this even is then, like... Irulan might have her own little spin on it as well. Okay. I was going to say, like, do you think so, she got it directly from the horse's is, mouth? This is the... Maybe. You think she sat down with Otham? I was like, tell, yeah, me, tell t- me your story. Tell me, Otham. I... You were there. <laughs> you were there the <laughs> night. What happened? Well, I was eavesdropping <laughs> when I shouldn't be. <laughs> Just hiding behind a rug. Yeah. <laughs> No, but uh, I, I am curious though. This is pretty much like the final uh, final telling of the operator game among the Fremen. <laughs> oh, what what do you mean? Like you know the game Operator? Uh, no. I mean, wait, when you, you oh, mean, when like you sit in a circle or something like that. Oh, okay, you, like, yeah, tell yeah. a story to the person on your right, but you whisper it, and then they tell it to the person on their right. Oh man, no, and you no, see no. how like weird it gets by the end, and I, how like I know that by oh, the name Telephone. But same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, you know, it's because, like, when you need, if you didn't hear him, you say operator and they say it over again. <laughs> you got a niche rule? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I had I think, that rule. You know what? I think it is telephone. I think it just confused the rules. But, yeah, yeah. That, that we're, and then the message changes. And that's kind of where the humor of that game comes from, right? Yeah. Of how it gets so lost in translation as each one for you. And all of a sudden, Purple Caterpillar turns right. into a, a red car. I, I just realized that operator is where you have the dude with the red nose. I'm really bad with my childhood games. (laughs) Mike played a lot of games by himself. (laughs) This kid doesn't get it. He's so weird. Uh, But yeah, uh, this one is also like just pure exposition. It really just sets us up for what we're about to walk into. But I think you touched on the greatest thing of where this comes from. Mm -hmm. That's a good, that's a great thing to go into. And we get another aspect of the prophecy and that the Lisa and Age will be both dead and alive. Yeah. And I know you wanted all the bits and pieces and this is why you're never going to get them because some of them don't come (laughs) till chapter 45, Mike. (laughs) It's a little late. It's a little late in the game. He's here. We're on like the tracks at this point. Schrodinger's Kwisatch Haderach. Yeah. (laughs) 
Oh, and if you look inside, <laughs> Kynes is dead. Oh, no. Um, this also um, illuminates... Uh, there's one word in here that was a little vocab word for me. Do you oh. know what a kiswa is? No. So, it's cool. Actually, I feel oh. like this is something I've definitely like come across while playing Civ Six. Uh, <laughs> potentially. Um, there's a famous one in... Uh, you know that... Um, Oh, is it like a block or an obelisk in Mecca that uh, they when they do the Hajj, they you do like so many circles around? Oh, it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that has like the big fabric over it, right? That mm-hmm. big like black with all the gold embroidery of the with the Arabic scripture uh, on it, and that is the Kiswa Al Kaaba, and the Kiswa then is a pall, so like the cloth that you put over a casket. Oh, so it's just it's just uh, amping up that sort of death tones. Then, with Paul being in a state of death, there are literally Pauls hang. Oh, that's a pun there Whoa. too. P A L L hanging on the wall around him. It's sort of like a funeral homage, almost. Interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. So it's just a cool little thing I caught. Um, is there anything else you want to pull out of that little quote there? I think like you're hitting on that last bit of the Lisa and Algeb prophecy is pretty. No, I mean, like, yeah. Oh, I mean, cave of birds, cave of birds. Yep. Oh, Bane no, of your existence. No, no, I mean, I think we pretty much got that down of like, I'm pretty sure that map happens post everything. And so entirely possible. I still like to change, believe there but... is a cave of birds and a cave of birds. <laughs> okay, <got this. laughs> they always get each other's mail. Yeah. <laughs> The Cielagos. <laughs> I get so confused. So confused. Oh, dude, I didn't tell Giovanni we were moving. He's a smart bat, mate. He's a smart bat. We'll see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> maybe he shows up at the end. Maybe he doesn't. <laughs> um, oh, no. No spoilers. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's head into let's the desert, Let's get into Mike. it. I'm so excited. Ooh, we're actually we're heading deep into the CH. So... You know, we've come up all the way from the south at this point. Turns out we were on a maker riding up with Cheney. And, uh, oh, no, not a maker, a thopter. Yeah. This is an important. Even we, though we just said that we had to save fuel on the oh, thopters. To be fair, it's been a month. <laughs> <laughs> it, has, it has been like 30 days. We're jumping forward another week. <laughs> okay. We're using 30 days worth of thopter fuel all in one go. <laughs> all in one. All in one. Uh, but Cheney, she's come up to Habay- uh, from Habayana Basin, so that's where we have in the south. It's right. pre-dawn right now. So she's been flying probably all night, and we're getting there right when the day is breaking. Uh, the thopter that brought her is taking off to go off to, like, a hiding spot, too. Yeah. So it's like it just set down, boom, up again. Well, because it's uh, it's starting to be daylight, and the Harkonnens are being a little bit more aggressive in their searches. They're... They- I would even say desperate. Oh, maybe even desperate. <laughs> desperate, yeah. Uh, but Cheney, she's walking up, and her escorts kind of fan out, and they go into the rocks searching for danger. Mm. But this is also to give her something she wanted, where she wanted a moment alone. Uh, this whole ride has been very uneasy for her, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there were so many weird little bits, like the silence of her escort when they left the south, the use of a precious thopter. All these things are like red flags for Cheney. Like something's oh, yeah. wrong. Like why am I here? You know what? I'm super happy. Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to have a Cheney chapter where we get into her head. We have not had it for 45 chapters. No. And even then, so like, do you feel like you did by the end no! of it? <laughs> oh, oh, I know. We'll, oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. We will. But like maybe in a way, kind of. I, I don't know. I think you've kind of won me over to how hollow of a character she is. Yeah, I mean, there, w- there are things I'm clinging to, but like I said, let's let's touch on that right when we get yeah. to, like, the big point where uh, she's shown her cards in this chapter. Sure, sure. So, 
uh, she's moving up there and she even leaps up onto this ledge and it's something where I like Frank adds this color that it was uh, a path that you could only see in darkness if you were raised in the desert. Like it's just like that kind of low key and it's so nonchalant for her. Now she is very excited to be reunited with Paul though. Even though all these red flags and these things are worrying her, ultimately she had a message from Paul summoning her up here. So she's pretty stoked to see him. Obviously, she never wanted to go down there anyway, given how much uh, she protested last time. Uh, And she sees a figure appear ahead of her, sort of like beckoning her to make haste. Mm -hmm. She moves up, and it's Atham. Now, uh, he's had a couple chapters I mentioned, right? Yeah. We've been bringing him up pretty often. So he's he's very prominent within the Fedaikin and uh, this Paul Moody myth. And, Mike, he's going to show up in the next book for us. So Hey! Get used to him. So this is the first time we've met Otham, actually. Uh, yeah, I think officially yeah. he was only mentioned. Uh, Paul told Stilgar to go get him, Korba, and... Uh, right, right, right. Oh, do you know who the third one was? <clears throat> no, I thought he named three and then two lieutenants of your choice, but... right. Oh, oh, that God. poor friend. I'm not going to look it up. It, no, we, he's, he's forgotten, Mike. We're just going to feel bad later. <laughs> no. No. Um, this is awesome. And, uh, oh, oh it's like he was going to be at the canceled war meeting. So that was the first thing oh, we were going to see. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So that war meeting never happened. You remember? Yeah. <laughs> Paul literally went and knocked himself out. <laughs> I love how that we ended that chapter like, Gurney. No one has to die today. And then three <laughs> weeks later, Paul is still in the coma. No, no that <laughs> night, Paul died. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, cancel war meeting. This figure that kind of loomed out of the rocks uh, above her, beckoning for speed. She quickened her pace. The dawn birds were already calling and lifting into the sky. And then a dim spread of light grew across the eastern horizon. Now... With that, she already like addressed these kind of red flags and this concern. Uh-huh. I thought it was interesting that we bring up the sun a lot, the enemy. That's how I've been viewing him in this book. He always shows up at really ominous points, right? Each time yeah. we sell a sun, it like it's a premonition of danger or I mean, like suspense. yeah, it just represents danger. Mm-hmm. You know what I just put together now too, which like I kind of feel silly for. What's that? Is that like we're calling this is the cave of birds? Yeah, this is also sort of the rebirth of the Atreides and the Red Hawk. Oh, damn. Damn. You know what? I'm going to put that on Jessica. She could have said that last (laughs) chapter when she said, this is why Cave of Birds is the best place, (laughs) because we are a bird family. Because we got Gurney back. We got Paul saying that I'm the Duke of Arrakis. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're... That is, like, almost so obvious. It hurts that I (laughs) never would have made that connection. Takes nine times to figure it out, right? (laughs) Nine read-throughs. Hopefully 16 for some people. (laughs) Now, um, Otham at this point, he tells Chaney uh, kind of what you alluded, alluded to. The Harkonnens have been like coming down here. So he's like, we got to get inside right now. And uh, it even says his mouth filter he left open because he only tends to be here for a he's second. He's in a rush. Boom, boom. Uh, and it, it specifically calls the Harkonnens, they've been making desperation patrols in the area. And like, I tried to look up to see if that was a particular thing. I didn't know if it was something you know, like since Frank had that Navy experience, maybe this is like some sort of patrol that is done. Sure. I didn't find anything come up though. Uh, so I think it is just a description to tell you the situation Raban is in. That makes right? sense. Of like, fine, we'll send him as far south. Like we got to find some Fremen to kill. Uh, though clearly it's been pretty desperate measures for Raban as of late. Now, Otham says we dare not chance discovery now. And I wonder, do you think he's, like, uh, protecting the myth at this point of, like, 
Because he knows what the state Paul is in, right? Yeah, yeah. Or is it just that overarching caution? But I I feel like ultimately to get in a battle right now without their leader would just be catastrophic for the the morale alone. If you lost, yeah, the potential for danger and like breaking this or chipping of the armor, so to speak, it's so high. Mm -hmm. We know Otham, Othiam, how do you want to pronounce his name? I'm sorry. Otham. It's a very weird one. So Otham. Uh, we know he's very invested in the myth to the level I think kind of Cheney is mm-hmm. uh, because he's going to tell Irulan this rumor. He's going to go spread this legend around. So mm-hmm. I can see him like gaming that out a little bit in his head. Right, right, right. Now, they make their way uh, to an old Syedina's alcove. And I like that Cheney's kind of given us a little context clues for like what this used to be like and what it is now. Right, because like the Cave of Birds wasn't supposed to be like a permanent residence by any means. Mm, no, yeah, like not even a Siet. Yeah, where like Siet wasn't supposed to be a permanent residence, but it is now. This yeah. is our camp along the AT. This is where we exactly. just like chill for a little bit. This is our little lean-to. Uh, but Nepal's made it battle command center, and now we've converted rooms and whatnot to be able to uh, allow for this. Mm-hmm. And one such thing is now the Sayadina's alcove um, is uh, all set up, and we have Jessica in there. And the hangings with the woven red hawk are yeah. all on the wall. I Cave love, of birds. Love that. And uh, I do want to think, so when we get in there, Cheney comes in. Jessica is sitting in the center of the room facing the door. Mm. I think she went through the entire like scrutiny of that room to the same level she did with Hawat. Oh, yeah, I bet. That kind of preparation before and you get in there. And She's it's in like, Hawat mode right now. Oh Yeah, and this is, this is a show. And it really is about to be, and it's a very painful show. And I hate this conversation. Do we know where so much. Paul is currently? Paul's in the next room. So she's also being like the guard to the like only the people that already know are allowed to go in there. Ooh, I oh I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah. Because like yeah, she's trying to propagate like a certain mythos currently. Yeah, of what's going keeping, on? Keeping this separate. Yeah, yeah, and it's like anyone that has heard, this is why. <laughs> Don't go check it out further. No one peeks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think, I think you're dead right on there. Uh, so she comes in and, uh, says that Jessica, she looked up with the inward stare that made the uninitiated tremble. Ooh. So. Cheney's not afraid. No. Oh, dude. Cheney is kind of like like a horror mode of like, uh, I'm not here to take shit. I'm here to get answers. Uh, but I just like that, like Jessica looking up, she's got that inward stare. She's doing something in her head. Like, she's somewhere either in those past memories or in, like, Bene Gesserit recollection. She's doing something, right? Yeah. Otherwise, I don't think we would set it up like that. Now, Otham is very formal with Jessica. He's just like, hi, I brought Cheney, and then, like, bows and, like, backs out and retreats his way. I'm like, (laughs) time to go. Or or does he? (laughs) (laughs) Touche. Touche. You are right. He's got a little Atreides. He's like, I'm just going to go take a nap. I'm going to be sleeping. <laughs> Don't mind me. It's the first lesson you learn as part of the fun I can. Yeah, insomnia. Yeah. Now, uh, this is the beginning of uh, what I find just a painful conversation because we're going to have Jessica and Chaney, and they're kind of going through the formalities, right? Or at least Chaney recognizes that they are. Mm. And I don't know why we go through this. Um, for me, like, you're having Jessica and Chaney alone in a room. This is like the lover of your son, your you know mother of your grandchild, right. yada yada, super bound to him. You know she's completely faithful. Why wouldn't you just be so straightforward? And a Fremen, Fremen are so like brutally honest and to the point. 
What are you saying? Why wouldn't Jessica be straightforward? Yeah, yeah. Why? Why think, doesn't she cut to the chase? Why does it? We have to like walk Cheney through this. I think it's uh, partly a test. Okay. Because she mentions uh, that uh, Cheney's able to sort of like uh, keep composed despite like she knows like there's all these red flags there, jessica knows that she knows there's red flags I was gonna she say, can there's, see it there's like her. two or three points where jessica is like oh she's very strong she's very wise like, she's, yeah. we may need her she may be exactly it's kind of like hara right well yeah in a way but like i feel like this is almost like uh similar to the test in the first chapter with uh gom jabbar okay. not to the same like extent of danger but like it's all about your reaction on what you hear right now Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, evaluating your response to crisis. Exactly. Not, like, the specifics of the test. Yeah, precisely. Okay. Um, I think she's testing her to a point. And then also softening the blow, because ultimately she just have, does have to say, like, well, Paul's been out of it for a little bit. Don't right. worry, but his heart's not beating, and it hasn't been for three weeks. Yep, yep. She does She does get through there. Um, so let's, uh, I think I kind of get where you're going with that. Uh, yeah, I think I think there is a method. You to think there's like the, an, there's an evaluation that's happening yeah. here, and I'm just saying I think it's weird that Jessica still has to do that at this point. Uh, she has obviously kept Cheney at arm's length. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until one month ago, I think, when Cheney got sent south that she decided she was okay with her. Yeah, right. I'm <laughs> like, so that that's fair. Uh, they uh, haven't had a chance. I also think, in a way. Uh, Maybe part of the reason we haven't gotten to see a lot of Cheney as well, mm-hmm. and maybe why uh, I thought she was so hollow because of that. I think uh, we're starting to realize that there is a lot in common between Cheney and Jessica. Yeah, there are many parallels. And I think Jessica's are sort of starting to realize that as well. Do you and know? So- do you know? Actually, I, I see though is uh, I think there are parallels, and then like a little jealousy on Jessica's part of like. Cheney made the decision she wished she always could. Yeah. Right? Or maybe, like, living vicariously through Cheney in a way. Oh, uh, maybe. Well, maybe now she is. Ne- yeah, yeah, yeah. Once, well, like, once I think, she's accepted. I, I think that was even why she was uh, more insistent on, like, can't marry her. I, well, I'd like, now we're kind of turning it. We're kind of yeah. putting this on her. Of like, just, I think, you, well, I you've think been fleshing is, out your own problems but, via your son's, like, marriage. I mean, we've been spending, like, 40 chapters doing that, Derek. Yeah. <laughs> Psychoanalyzing yeah. fake people. <laughs> yeah man our lives are weird yeah it could be worse <laughs> now within this uh dialogue the bit i do kind of uh like and like what you just touched on where uh, they kind of form a bond through this conversation mm-hmm. and kind of pushing back and forth and it's that uh cheney replies and calls jessica mother and Ooh. it's sort of like she stepped forward to be like all right if we're gonna do this i'm gonna at least claim my station here mm-hmm. of like mother and she, uh, jessica's sort of like yeah she did give me a grand chance sick burn <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it was sort of weird and she did sort yeah. of take it like a slap but yeah it's like technically she's right it's like <laughs> you couldn't just like let it go yeah i guess and then looking at this from like a sitcom point of view this is a mother and a mother-in-law sitting down <laughs> and clearly the mother-in-law hates her <laughs> we know we have seen her fucking thoughts you think this is based on a real experience from frank <gasps> or beverly <laughs> yeah beverly Maybe. This is Beverly's chapter of like <laughs> your mom's a bitch. <laughs> oh shit! But we got common ground because you're weird, <laughs> dude. Yeah, yeah. So we we have to talk about benign things before we can get to the point. So let's knock these out real quick because we get a ch that is called out by name. It's a uh, Kuanu ch mm-hmm. or uh, Konua. 
C-O-A-N-U-A. Uh, Either way, I think. I yeah. don't know. Hey, you know what, Mike? Never going to come up again to my recollection. That's, but <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to have to control F, actually, in Messiah to make sure. <laughs> that is, like, so specific. Maybe I did gloss over it. Maybe. Very know. weird. But they sent us some cloth, and we're going to make that cloth into a little robe for Leto or something. <laughs> we have to cut out an outfit for him. Yeah, I guess. Quanwa? Yeah. Um, Jessica asks if Aaliyah has a message. Jane says no. I'm just like, but apparently things are going over better. Yeah, so this She's is more popular. This is reflective of Hara's having an influence then. Mm-hmm. Hara's doing her job, which that was the whole point Hara One made. One month of breaking kneecaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. There's a couple of friends with broken yeah. jaws. Yeah. It's like, what'd you say? <laughs> Aaliyah's happy as can be, though. Uh, but I love that. And uh, Leto's down there with them. So, like, mm-hmm. oh, man, that means Hara is playing mom right now. Yeah. To two kids. Two, one and a half. <laughs> Aaliyah's weird. Yeah. <laughs> That's a that's a grown child. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now we have uh, Cheney kind of getting this is getting old for her. She goes, "Why does she drag this out so?" And uh, something was so urgent that they used a thopter. Why do we drag through the formalities? So again, she's bringing up that thopter is so important. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, last um, chapter, a lot of this is just exposition for us, pushing it forward. And that's why I kind of get her as a hollow character here, like. There's nothing personal in any of this, right? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, having enough, Cheney tries to move the conversation forward and uh, gets it like adjacent to Moadib, essentially. And she has to hold her face emotionless, knowing the Bene Gesserit is sitting across from you. She's like, been learning a lot just by watching Lady Jessica. Even, well, and Ramalo. It's yeah, like well, she's been true. doing this her whole life because, yeah, she busts out of one trick of her own down the road. Uh, she asks if there have been any victories. And, like, uh, Jessica says, yep. Um, uh, wait, did Jessica say there's been no victories? Uh, there have been victories. Yes, okay, yeah, there have been victories. And uh, also that Raban has made overtures of peace. But uh, we've returned his messengers sans water. And just like, that is insane. Raban has... Saying, like, hey, can we just, like, stop for a bit? Hey, guys, oh, my be. That's my how be. desperate he is. That's how... The beast Raban is just like, hey, Armistice? I just want to say, this is a line I think uh, I've lost over many a time going through this book. And now, fine coming through, this stands out to me. It's like, this is huge. Yeah. This is the where the Baron left him. He has sent people to the Fremen to try to... And they've come back as dried husks. That's awesome. Thanks for the water. A little post-it yeah, note yeah. stuck on them. <laughs> you think a little thank you note? Yeah. That would be great. I'm just like, appreciate it. <laughs> Kisses. And then like, see you Enjoy soon. Enjoy the new still tent as well. Yeah. <laughs> Packed up and ready to go for you. <laughs> He's done one still tent back with each. That'd be good. Ooh. That'd be real good. Uh, I wish they'd even mentioned that to be like, that was where that story <laughs> that came from. That would be kind of cool, yeah. right? Uh, but alas, we do not. And, uh, Raban has also eased the burdens of the people in the pans and the sinks to try to, like, win over the populace or at least deny, like, the Fremen some more, like, recruits or something, right? Uh, I doubt that's been working. Yeah, and probably not so Even well. Jessica's like, they know they do it. He does it out of fear. Yeah, so they're probably like, just... He's not really fooling anyone right now. No, again, they're like, cool, less taxes. Sweet. Yeah. Um, you're going to die in a year. I'm <laughs> like, good luck. Now... Pushing all this, this is the time Cheney's just like, all right, I need to go a little bit further then. Just asking about victories wasn't enough. So she says, thus it goes, as Moadib said. Ooh. And, like, again, she has to go stone face because she's like, I only said Moadib because I really want you to tell me about Paul. And Is she, I mean, like, oh, man, it's just a passive-aggressive game right now. Mm-hmm. And she, like, she tries to keep it. And then I, I love this line. She's looking at Jessica 
One cannot see emotion in that glazed stone she she calls calls a face. (laughs) I was just like, Jesus, Janie. (laughs) I know. That's the the mother-in-law, daughter-in-law thing that she calls a face. But she is too frozen. Why is she so still? What happened to my Usal? Like, yeah, get in there. Ask her. One of you should be straightforward because, like, God damn it, I hate when we're not. Um, but Jessica just brings up the sketch and, like, the dream of uh, the blooming of plants and this and that down the south, uh, how it was in the oasis. Is. And uh, <laughs> land is beautiful, but there's much grief in it. Like, I love this is all just so to set Jessica up for a s- yeah. sex bike, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think he wrote this line in the reverse to this conversation Maybe. to get to it. But then Jessica tells her. Grief is the price of victory. And Jessica's pretty satisfied with that. I'm like, good. And then Chaney notes, I'm like, oh, she's preparing me for grief. I'm like, God, it's two Bene Gesserit talking is killing me. And I'm counting uh, her as Bene Gesserit, Chaney, oh, right now. But it drops. The mic drops. Yeah. Uh, Chaney tells Jessica, like, oh, the other women were jealous uh, that I was summoned by my husband to like, go I see. I see my man. Mm-hmm. And Jessica's like, oh, really? Here's a little splash of ice water on your face. <laughs> and she's just tells her, like, uh, I invited you here. <laughs> just like, oh, ooh. And um, she tells her, I invited you here. And that she forged the signature in the presence of the Fedaikin lieutenant. I think it's important to say that. That she's not just, you know, going behind everyone's back. It's just, like, the Fedaikin now. Oh, what do you think that's underlining? I took it as, like, her maybe... Um... That Paul's unable to do it. Okay. That's what I took away from it. Okay, okay. I didn't know if you were trying to assert, like... She was trying to pull the strings. I took it as like a painting the breadth of the issue to be like the Fadaikin are agreeing with me on this. Like that means there's some sort of like factional yeah. uh, consensus that was reached, and it's not just Jessica like pulling, right, right, right. pulling threads or anything. Yeah, yeah. Because like the Fadaikin know that Paul's not. I think it's entire. You're telling her like, hey, his most loyal cadre agrees with this plan. Essentially, like, right. Paul's in safe hands. Now, plus, let's be honest, she said, hey, Cheney, you want to come up for a bit? She'd be like, mm, I'm okay, I'll wait until Usal messages me. <laughs> if Jessica yeah. has. She, would she have really come, do you think? To get it out of the South? Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. I think she'd be leaving on the first worm. Oh, uh, probably. Uh, but this is even better, to take a thopter up yeah, and yeah, quickly, yeah. quickly. Um, so this is, like, highlighting a very interesting political situation, kind of, within the CH altogether, right? Mm. Knowing that, like, something's up with the Moadib. The Syedina and the Fedaikin are conspiring against everybody else. Yeah. That leaves out all the leaders and all the other Fremen tribes that are here right now. And uh, Jessica also makes a note of how impressed she is that Cheney is able to control her fear. It's like, yeah, you're really giving her a run for her money, aren't you? (laughs) Like, you're not making this easy. And uh, Cheney, though... Getting to you're pushing her to the edge because mm-hmm. the, the slightest tone of resignation crept into Cheney's voice as she said, "Now say the thing you must be that must be said." And uh, Jessica's got it; she's got the word in her pocket. What does she say, Mike? <laughs> you were needed here to help me revive Paul, and she's as happy as she can be about saying that. No, that's Frank that says the next line. But go <laughs> ahead and read that. In that I said it precisely the correct way. Revive. Thus she knows Paul is alive and knows there is peril all in the same world. Word. She just sort of like chuckles to herself like very smug. I know. I, I added that for embellishment, obviously. But sure. No, but it is that, smug. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like, it is kind of right. That was a good use of the word, and it does fit the situation. And I honestly feel like that 
that's the explanation I would have appreciated on Cave of Birds saying, because Hawks, Atreides. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's very blunt, but I appreciate it. Uh, it's it, fair. It, it just makes sure we're all on the same page. <laughs> I guess, yeah, it is something that you won't just gloss over now. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I it, and that I mean, I guess that tells us as well what's going on. If you didn't pay enough attention to the uh, what was it epigraph? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very. I, I already forgot from last week. Because <laughs> epi is in addition to. In addition to, yes, that's right. It's so cool. All right. Yeah, we have all that, and now Cheney, in response, calmly asks, "Like, what may I do?" And I like that she uses like de- the deferential may. Yeah, and it's sort of like, an, like bowing to the Sidena a little bit to Jessica's station within this culture, and inside though she wants to scream and to shake the hell out of Jessica. <laughs> I would actually love to see that. Right, I would have been good. Where is Paul? <laughs> oh, I don't, yeah, I always want to push Jessica to fight another uh, fremen. I'm just like, who does win? <laughs> is she two for two? I don't know. <laughs> And uh, Jessica sort of explains what's been going on, and ultimately she thinks that a Harkonnen spy had gotten in and poisoned Paul. She's examined, quote-unquote, the blood and found nothing. And I I thought this was very weird. Okay, wait a second. Yeah. So there's no poison in the blood, Mm -hmm. even though he literally ingested poison. Yep. Yeah, I do. And And he pretty much blacked out right then and there. Then and there. That's so weird. And we're just like, no idea. Whatever. Does it just Paul? like I don't well and because Je- Cheney asked her, did you use your awareness to look into it like you can with the thing? And, and she's, she's like, like, Of course I did. If, duh, that's stupid. You, you and I'm what? like, how do you not with the awareness sense the spice drug in him? Well, I think I maybe I don't know. Either whether it be the catalyst or the transformed, right? Or the I guess well, the, the raw transformed or, is the I'm catalyst. Sorry, no, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's the for, raw. The raw or the catalyst form. So yeah. I, okay, I think the thing with it is and there's a reason for it too maybe it's not just tradition that you have to like kill a maker and grab it from the you know dine maker i think it has to be fresh as well i think there's a de- <laughs> no no yeah, i think there's a, a decay on it yeah i mean like how else do you explain this what where why do they keep worms in reserve they don't just have like a wait, jar hold, of, hold, like, up, hold up hold up how does that decay affect this jessica didn't the, wait the chemical actually decays and no, no, right right but i'm saying jessica didn't wait 30 days to check his blood she didn't check his blood this we morning. We don't know when we found it either. R- truth, truth, but we know that we killed oh, okay, worm okay, fresh. Hold up, yeah. When well, we have this so ceremony, you wanna, you wanna, you're you're dependent in your theory of there being like a couple days of them before they find Paul or before they test Paul. No, not even like how long does it take? Sure, between I don't know. killing the maker and having the ceremony. Well, well Mike, we're already we're inventing this de- uh, decay of the formula. So whatever time frame you want to put on it, you tell me, my man. This is your theory. Okay, well, maybe it's an hour. All right. Maybe there's a reason they have to have worms in reserve, oh, or, ready or, to go, or they got to do that um, the ceremony so quickly. Like yeah, they well, pass like, it out right after Jessica changes it. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, same along those lines. Like, why wouldn't you just have an urn full of this stuff ready to go for a ceremony? Why do you need to kill a worm right then and there? Oh, ooh, maybe they do. I don't know. I don't know. Frank either. didn't say it though. Nope. But I'm so, just saying. Yeah, yeah. No, like I mean, I I like you're you're trying to fill it in, but certainly, I'm, yeah, we don't have enough pieces. We're sort of like at a loss of like, I have so many questions. You have so many questions, mm-hmm. and we are gonna like show you how many holes there are in this chapter. <laughs> it's like a sieve of like I don't, I don't know what to make of Everything this. Like, there's out. sand everywhere. <laughs> um, but yeah. For some reason, Jessica can't find it, though, right? The spice, like, eludes her. And maybe it's that Paul, he's an exception. Maybe you just can't see Paul's blood. (laughs) Uh, Maybe. Something. 
don't know. But I love that, like, it's sort of building the mystery for it of, like, we've, we've tried everything. We can't do it. And so I think Jessica's, I, I find the Harkonnen spy thing, like, absolutely ludicrous. But that like, is kind of silly. Well, but approaching this with Occam's razor, it's been three weeks. You've looked at everything. You can't find any possibility. That is the most obvious answer. And she was almost assassinated by a member of her own house. Yeah. It's, so, been, it's been a weird, yeah, been a weird, weird couple years. <laughs> yeah. um, so who knows? Um, but so Chandy listening to all this. She's holding all of her emotions in check until now. And she reacts physically to this, to being told that Paul is, um, what is it? Poisoned. Uh, no, well, it needs to be revived. Oh. The revived part. Yeah. yeah and, and to the point. I'm sorry. You know, you're right. It is in the poison. Because in the point, she's like, is he in pain? Oh. Yeah, that's when she sort of loses control. Yeah. Yeah. She finally like uh, props up. You're right. It's the concern if he's in pain for it. And uh, Jessica tells him like, no, no, he's unconscious. He's fine. He can't feel anything. Uh, and she kind of brings up of like, imagine if anyone but me found him. I'm <laughs> just like. Well, because like, no, no one would be able to detect, detect he's, it. He's barely breathing. Like, if you put your finger under his nose, I don't think you would feel the air. You wouldn't hear a heartbeat if you put your ear to his chest. This is intense. Mm -hmm. So Jessica, though, can note those subtle changes. And mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, thank God. So he's in the state of repose. I think they would have been like, well, to the hydra dehydrator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they would have. Oh, right. God. My, yeah. Every frem every dead body, how quickly has it been wrapped and just taken? That's true. Before the people. What do you do with the least? Oh, he wouldn't be the least in al -Gaib if he died like that, though, would he? Uh, I don't know. Hey, uh, all voices go quiet. Uh, we turn to Aaliyah. <laughs> hey, it's hey. the prophecy. <laughs> we tried. Um, always have a backup lease on Al Gaib. Hey, you always want a picture of the stuff around. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jessica, like she said, she tells Chaney it's fine. Um, and Chaney questions, so like, why am I here then? Why Jessica needs her help? Hmm. Right, and love put the needs right on her, and uh, we get her probably the greatest compliment ever from Jessica. She is brave, lovely, ah, so perceptive. Jessica thought she'd have made a fine Bene Gesserit. Oh, I think that's the highest compliment a Bene Gesserit can give you. Yeah, right. she'll never say it though. <laughs> nope, because that's like that's higher yeah. than just being human. Mm -hmm. It's like you're you're one of us. Um, Cheney asks though very acutely, "What about Gurney?" I don't know. This this is another off world that you brought into Sietch. Mm -hmm. Like, huh? And uh, in saying not Gurney, Cheney senses an entire conversation. <laughs> yeah. Surely not Gurney. I feel like there's like a rubbing of the knife wound on the back. You know where uh, that point was a little bit? I'm just like, yeah. Uh, although it just reminds me too, but like, wasn't she just like, surely not Yui way back when? Yeah. Okay. No, I had the same kind of reaction. And also like Gurney just tried to kill you. But the, the point is that Gurney also went through all the trouble to avenge the Atreides. That's true. Like his, that's, that's about as loyal as it gets. Exa yeah. It's like paradoxes. That is him trying to kill Jessica just proved how dedicated he was to the family. Yeah. Fucked. But like, it's the truth. <laughs> yeah, fuck. You know whose fault it is? Hawats. <laughs> Although I guess in a way though, that also proves how loyal Thufir is. Just a little bit of a dumb dumb. Ooh. <laughs> <gasps> Back to the shitty mentat. <laughs> I think we kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. He's just me. getting too old, man. Too old. Hey, actually, uh, don't sell him out just yet. Okay. He's got. He's still planning. He's still pulling all. The oh, strength. I know. I know. He's the whole reason Gurney's back in a way. I guess, yeah. So, like, if we go back even further, we can give him a little more credit. All right. All right. All right. All right. So. We're ruling out Gurney, though. <laughs> We're giving him the safe pass. And uh, Cheney asks then to be taken to Paul. So Jessica goes through the hangings on the left wall, 
And this used to be a storeroom, which Janie feels was yeah. in on. And now this is like Paul's little death room. And this is also the first time we uh, find out why she called for Janie. Just a feeling. An inkling of a feeling. It was just... Yeah. Hey, do you have uh, any theories on that? Any? Did you get any like, feelings of anything vibes, bigger? But like, I don't Ooh, know why okay. that would be with okay. a dob. I'm thinking it's more like uh, some subtle advice from a past life oh. within her line. Okay. All right. You're or so- Ramallah's line, even. I I think I know exactly what it is. Oh, uh, it's gonna come up later in the book, and I think you're you're pretty close with the adopt. Okay, I think it's someone left something in her mind. Yeah, yeah. And we're gonna get kind of metaphysical. It's a power. Maybe with- someone with some prescience. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Okay. Uh, I, okay. I, I, I think it was Paul. And uh, what? Yeah. You're gonna have to wait to find out why I think it was Paul. Okay. Because uh, I don't want to. I don't want to blow this one for you. But uh, that's a really good idea, though. But like. You're wondering how? I'm wondering how, but then again, like, we know that Paul can do a lot sure. of crazy Mike, things. throw me a pitch how. I'm going to, like, go blank. I'm going to go stone face on you like Jessica. somehow? She would have noticed that. She can always hear, like, the subtleness of the voice. He has gr- the greater voice. But he does have the greater voice, but <laughs> you we don't can know what that fucking you, means. I know. I know. <laughs> That's the best part. <laughs> That's where you can hit the button, oh, Mike. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> the greater boy I, he was so vague about that i hate it so much but oh god we we go in and this is like uh at least paul now enters the scene paul is on a mat with a black robe over him he is naked underneath it so he's pretty much in a very death state yeah. and this this is like uh i assume it doesn't say what this is i th- i believe this is uh jessica's black abba robe what oh. I, that's what I imagine. No reason to really think that, but like, why not? And it's up about uh, to his chest. It goes under his arms, and his arms are flattered against it. You can really picture him kind of laying. Is on this that mat, the right? keyswa? No, no, the keyswa were hanging. Oh, they're hanging. They were. They did. It, uh, it would be a kind of a keyswa because I thought it was the thing you put over the body, over a casket, over a casket. Okay. Uh, so I think you're you're kind of imagining like the tower and trout yeah, or the no, tower I, and trout. I, yeah, I, know I think it's similar now. to that kind of deal. Okay. All right, Paul is laying there. You, you can imagine him very much laying in that from. It's probably very low lighting. Oh, there's one glow globe like above his head. Yeah, uh, I get the image in my head of like it's almost like you're walking into like a mortuary where like this body is sort of like yeah. rigid Ooh. on the table, right? And it's got the glow globe right above his head, and with the black robe, you imagine it just sort of like that oh light fading out into darkness. You don't see anything. His skin is sort of waxen and rigid. It's there's like the observation chain mm. he's able to make. Now, so, she, yeah, uh, we're also figuring out how, uh, oh God, I forgot his name already. Awesome. I always wanted to say Paul awesome. each time you set me up like that. Uh, awesome. Yeah, 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 it was yep. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like, Paul? Paul? <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is also how we know how Awesome was able to sort of like uh, over here because uh, the room where Paul's being kept in is literally just through some hangings. Yeah, they I go mean, through the hangings and to, they're in the room. To He's be just fair, step outside and sort of listen through the. That that's grapevine. every CH though. That's like fair. they don't have doors inside. Remember, you know, when Hara took us through, it was always like orange uh, film hangings at her yali. Uh, I think Cheney's yali was the same way of just like hangings that we parted when we went in. Right, so, right, right. Yeah, it seems like a really eavesdropping friendly kind of place. But well, there's not a lot of secrets you need to keep. No, no, the Tao sort of makes sure there aren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're all on the same page uh, the whole way through. Um, but 
when we uh, go into here and we see Paul on or the floor. Or do you think they like go in and they don't notice the uh, lampshade over a Fremen just sort of hanging in the corner? Wait, what? Oh, of like, I just, for whatever reason, I imagine Otham like being in the corner. There's like a little lampshade over his head. He's just standing very still. Very still. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought of. And then he's just like, I'm just I'd be a little glow, a little glow glow, a little glow glow. <laughs> so like when they all pretend to be little dunes. Um, seeing uh, back, we have Paul on the floor. Cheney sees him, and she has to suppress the desire to run to Paul, mm. which is a very, again, you know, this is all about her bonding with Jessica. Jessica's been there many a time. Yeah. Never touched Paul, though. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I thought this kind of also brought up, there is a constant suppression of emotions by the women in this book. Yeah. And I think exclusively. Is it? Maybe. Well, let me say some of the men do, I think. Like, I believe um, Paul at times suppressed, like, the need to cry in the tent. Leto, though, I think he just suppressed, like. No, I think he did. Whenever he was talking to Lady Jessica, he would always suppress, like, what he really wanted to say. Mm, Okay. Okay. That's true. That's true. Uh, we always maybe, learned it later, I maybe, guess. Maybe, maybe then what I want to say is that it's cons- it's consistent for the women. It's like happens every now well, and then for the men. We only have like three women in the whole book, no, Derek. Yeah, entirely, for sure. And the two prominent ones, like, I mean, Jessica, I feel like she does get a, I feel like I know that character. I'm happy with how she's presented in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much with Chaney. I'm okay with Hara. I thought Hara, she at least got last chapter uh, to right, really right. stand out. But this is sort of like, Another thing where I'm just like, there could be other motivations within her mm-hmm. that just don't get the chance to come out. It's I was going to just... say, you were telling me about her being like all about the myth making and like the myth of Muad'Dib. Yes. But like, I, have, I haven't like felt like there's a lot of evidence to sort of come up with that hypothesis. Even in this chapter. Well, I mean, like I, I can make the parallels, but if you didn't say that, I would have never assumed. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm sure. going by up, what, up till now. I'm yeah, going yeah. by your interpretation of Cheney. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess like, I can totally see that aspect inside of things, but I think she really is just head over heels for Paul. Oh, but so that's where I feel like you can uh, you I can think split that either way, right? I think it's less like, about the myth. You can look at that as either one. I, I look at it, I think, purely as the myth, but I see you're saying you're going to kind of see an actual relationship between them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, granted, like, we never really got to see her side of things, so it's hard to, like, really... Dude, I, I feel like you and I are crossing right now of opinions of Cheney, and this yeah. chapter, for me, has totally solidified a hollow character, and maybe for you, I feel I'm, like right I'm, now, it's cracked it a little I bit. I of, just like... like to play devil's advocate. Okay. I'm, I'm really trying to, like, make a case for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna make it so hard for you. I know, but <laughs> here's the thing, though, like, I was the one who even told you, it's just, like, there's not a lot of, like, substance to her. Mm-hmm. Which makes me so sad because, like, a friend of ours we work with is, like, obsessed with the movie. And he was, like, so excited for me to, like, uh, like get to the part where, like, oh, like, when you meet, uh, oh, he was, when you meet Chani, you're going to love her. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. But, like, uh, I just, maybe that's, she's presented differently in the movie. But, like, I don't get a lot from her in the book. Mm-hmm. And this is our first chance at it. I feel like th- this is about as much as I'm going to learn about her going forward as well. We only have a couple chapters left. I yeah. they're going to be Cheney chapters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If she hadn't taken center stage yet, she doesn't get it at the end. So I, I do see Frank presents her as you know, you know, he is my. She never says husband. She says mate. Mm-hmm. But like she cares for him and love her. Mm-hmm. A tender. He's such a tender lover. Yeah. But um, we really get to see her perspective on how she feels about him. And it's not just about like you know he's the prophet he's the Kwisatz Haderach not oh, the wrong 
Wrong culture. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's the Lisa Malgaib. No, it's uh, Paul. Like, she does fall for Paul. Well, it's Usal. Well, Paul Moadib, her no, Usal. No, but like, yeah, no, they have their, but they have their pet names where like, True. how she said that to Jessica, and then like, where I told you Paul is going to use Sayadina, or no, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Sihaya, all the yeah, time yeah, with yeah. her. Like, those are going to be like the anchors for it. But yeah, uh, I would just say that the only facet of Cheney, though, is Paul. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the only thing that defines her. And that, to me, makes her a very hollow character. I agree with you. you say, yeah. What I said earlier about maybe Jessica seeing so much of herself in Chaney, mm-hmm. the way you see, she thinks like, she'd be a good Benny Jesuit or like, yeah, yeah, do hmm, this whole The chap- way she's able to hold back her emotions. Like, yeah. this is very useful. She's her, a lot stronger the way she than I thought. Controls her fear. I'm how intelligent. Of, I'm sort of projecting what I've learned about Lady Jessica and how she's felt in the past onto Chaney. And it's probably the incorrect thing to do, but I don't have a lot else to go by. Yeah, hey. You know what, Mike? You get to make it up in your own head. I guess like that's that, true. We still get we we have another book with Cheney in it. We're gonna get a little bit more Cheney, but at the same time, I'm like I'm kind of uh, questioning it and reframing it when I look back on it. I'm gonna be really interested how you feel at the end of Messiah. Well, I we're guess. gonna find out. I guess. Yeah, we'll get we're gonna get a whole other view of Cheney. Uh, and God, you'll finally meet Irulan. So we can put two new women in the Whoa. book. Whoa! I was at the bookstore. I didn't realize how short that book was. It was half the half the length. I told you, dude. That's why I want to roll right into it. All right, all right. Now, Cheney, though, again suppressing this emotion. What's her first thought that she goes to? It's gonna be her son. Yeah, oh, just like Lady Jessica. Exactly. So she thinks of later the second. And uh, I look at here too. A little thought. Maybe we cut bait. Do you think I was in there in there at all? Of like, uh, maybe this Moadib ship has set sail, and uh, <laughs> we, we go with land on the second. Let's get back on that thopter. <laughs> Let's get back on that thopter. Definitely not. We don't have a Duncan, but we got a gurney. Yeah, and uh, with this thought of her thinking of her son, she now recognizes that bond between her and Jessica. Like, Jessica had to have thought about this at some point, and she reflects back to the Gom Jabbar moment. And I'm like, yeah, you and I, I'm glad, I'm glad we took the time to be like, what if Paul died that day? Because like, that's, yes, that's huge. And I'm glad a character reflects back to be like, oh yeah, she knew her son might have died one day. Yeah. What was that like? And uh, also reflecting, oh no, I, I'm sorry. I'm, she doesn't reflect back on that. It's um the Duke dying that Jessica thought of Paul's safety. Yeah. Uh, I misconstrued those two things. Um. And that that's where she's bonding for. And it's such a bond that uh, she even, like, uh, reaches out and she takes Jessica's hand. And gets a fierce squeeze, like, fierce grip. It is a painful in its intensity that Mm. it grabs back. And that's unusual for Jessica. For her to, like, just show emotion so quickly. That's true. I mean, this is, like, like, a bonding experience. uh, mm -hmm. experience. Yeah, definitely. I I think it was, like, uh, unconscious. I think it draws another parallel between them, too. Mm -hmm. Not just like a, hey, this is their bonding, but like sort of uh, seeing how they they react in the same crises. Yeah. So we know of this as the Arrakis crisis, right? Everything that's happening right now. Uh, I would like to point out the point that these two women right now, the Moadib's out of commission. The Mahdi's gone right now. These two women are at like a fulcrum of history. They are the ones that revive the like the whole Messiah That's and bring true. everything back. It all would have fallen apart if not for Jessica and Cheney in this moment together. Ooh. Neither of them separate could have accomplished it. If we had lost Jessica along the way, say Stilgar had uh, you know given her water to the tribe and we took just the boy, mm-hmm. wouldn't have been the same. It's true. He might not have even ended up with Cheney. Would Cheney have- would have been Reverend Mother. 
That's true. Or oh. at least put to the test, potentially. Well, we wouldn't have had any other uh, Sayadinas to go with. Yeah. There, well, she was initiated as Sayadina as a backup, but, like, I don't know if she would have taken the test or not by now. A lot, mm. a lot of things would be different because, like, so much time has passed. Now... Let's uh let's just keep moving with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jessica remarks that some of the Fremen are starting to say it's the mother that speaks and not the Reverend Mother about Paul's Ooh. life. Just like, no, he's dead, and she <laughs> just doesn't want to give his water up to the tribe. This right. is like her imperial tendencies kind of kicking back in, right? Uh, but like, let's be honest, it it is what it is. The mother speaking. Uh, well, it's the Benny Jesuit that ultimately I think is speaking, but like she always, it's always about her son. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I, I definitely want to, I see where you totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. there's no way the mother's not speaking (laughs) in some way, but, uh, the overarching. I think that she can't separate the Benny Jesuit from the mother. Mm Hmm. I mean, it's never been her strong suit. No. (laughs) 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 Like, did she ever try? (laughs) Fair, yeah. No, she's. I mean, she's very dedicated to her kids. So we we give that to her as a plus column. Uh, even the Bene Gesserit eventually recognized that her love was like a, a boon and not a bane. Mm-hmm. Um, now this is where I think we get the first framing of how much time exactly has passed. Three weeks, Jessica said. I spent almost a week trying to revive him. There were meetings, arguments, investigations. Then I sent for you. Investigations. Investigations. Uh, let me uh, let me just get this one other thing here. The Fedokin. Uh, uh, Fedokin. Oh. That's if I go fast, Mike. I throw <laughs> my own words in there. Uh, they obey my orders. Else I might not have been able to delay the... She wet her lips with her tongue, watching Chaney cross to Paul. Doesn't even say it. Can't even say it. Has to stop right there. But um, what was the point? You were just going to hit him. Investigations. Yeah. You want to know what happened? Yeah. I want to know what happened so bad. I think Gurney was involved. Gurney's been our investigator up until now, right? I don't know. I think uh, I think Gurney's got a lot of uh, things to handle right now. I think he's more of like the uh, the top cop. Oh, commissioner. Oh, I think, okay, yeah. He's the one. Yeah, he's the one's like. Give me a badge right. and your guns. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you got, uh, you got 48 I think hours. Need a dynamic duo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so Hara's down in the south. We don't got her. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about that. Hara would have been great. Mm-hmm. Who do you, what's your uh, What's your best guess for a duo? My best guess? Uh, oh, Shishlaki. Shishlaki? Yeah. Ah, I, I see. mean, he provided his hooks to the Bahadi. That's that true. Worm. I wanted to say Farouk was of here. Of course you wanted to say Farouk. Well, Farouk is here. Yeah. I know you wanted him involved in the investigation. All right. I what's, just want... he, what's he sweeping up, Mike? Some clues? Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, they don't <laughs> find anything. He's too good at his job. Too good. <laughs> He's sweeping it all under the rug. I think Farouk's on it and on the inside. Usul's going to be so excited when he doesn't see any dirt around his body. Farouk, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> all the evidence. I think Farouk and Malarn Spicebeard. That's the dynamic duo <gasps> I want. I forgot we brought him with us, Milan. He's been here for a month. That's the... No, Mike, hold up. Back it up. That was the other thing that happened the day Paul passed out. We had all that... Te- the Sardaukar are here. The f- captives from the... Like, half of Gurney's men that lived are right? all here. <laughs> yeah, they are all in here. Paul passed out. No one made a decision what to do with those people. <laughs> So Melange Spicebeard is still kicking. He's he's that uh, he's that character that needs to prove his own innocence, so he gets put on the case. <laughs> oh, I like ooh. 
Someone please no, make no. a fanfic. <laughs> you know how you mentioned that, um, or, well, so Jessica assumed that it was a Harkonnen spy? Yeah. What a great thing. What if she would have thought it was one of the spice smugglers that was with Gurney, who had been staying at the Siege since that time? I don't understand why they didn't go into that possibility there's at least, more. There's clearly a pocket of, like, possible traitors mm-hmm. and, like, betrayers. Sardaukar, like... Right, right, right. We had there were Sardaukar among were them. Sardaukar. They were very subdued, though, by the <laughs> yeah. time we were done. You think of a... Uh, Corbo would have shaved every one of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, do you think... Oh, do you think Spicebeard lost his beard? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just just in case. I bet, yeah, Corbett's like, sorry, I got it. Everyone's. <laughs> everyone. Everyone. Just all hair everywhere. <laughs> Next. <laughs> yeah, I think things got weird in Sea Edge that night. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's good Paul passed out. Uh, but so, like I said, uh, with Jessica wetting her lips here while Chaney crosses to Paul when she stops, Chaney crosses over, and we get uh, a visual of Paul that we didn't quite know yet, Mike. Mm. Paul's got a full beard. Yeah. He's got a good be- of a coma beard, but <laughs> <laughs> coma beard. It's probably not very nice. No, it's like it's gonna be like a rag like that <laughs> that man's crazy. Um and it, like Paul's just sort of in like a peaceful repose, right? And uh we're Paul we're told that Paul has not needed food yet. Cheney kinda asks, like how is he how, who's feeding him? What's doing this? And it's His like body doesn't require like anything at the moment because he's not using anything. Right. And I love that it's just like not yet too. Of yeah. like Tess could be like, we're we watching. Did, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sure at some point he will, but we haven't had to cross that bridge yet. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's a good little, like, uh, piss the bed once, but we, you know, <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> that does not make it into the legacy and the legend. <laughs> Otham does some careful editing. Yeah. <laughs> he shit himself a few times. <laughs> um, but also, I, I just want to say, yeah. how has Jessica not noticed Otham sneaking up? Oh. I know they're good, but like, uh well maybe hmm. she's preoccupied with what's happening oh, oh, but... no no okay so i think the only reason paul catches it is the prescience though no he no does... no they definitely see the rug like yeah yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> he, he, like, visually... off. hey guys i tried yeah. <laughs> i tried no i got nothing uh before we get there i want to kind of unpack the faction list that we get of uh within this uh sketch that jessica mm-hmm. kind of outlines because uh, cheney asks like uh how many know of what's happened here and Jessica tells him, oh, only his closest advisors, a few of the leaders, the Fadaikin, and, of course, whoever administered the poison. There, Yeah, she's really hung up on the fact that, like, there was, like, a would-be assassin here. There, well, there was someone who administered. She's not wrong. That's, That's Paul. true. It's just Paul. Paul knows. Yeah, exactly. But so I thought it was interesting that advisors, leaders, and Fadaikin are three separate groups within the CH. Mm. Now, the leaders, we obviously know as other tribes. The other that yeah, yeah. But I wonder who the advice. Obviously, Gurney would be one of the advisors, I would think. Stilgar? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I So, Stilgar is one of the unique ones. I don't know if he counts as Fadaikin, but I think you're right. I think a little bit of, like, call him A, B, and C here. Yeah. It's like all and of the naive. above. Yeah, and I'm your boss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Remember how I hired you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just kind of weird. Of, like, uh, a very diverse political structure within the CH that seems so homogenous to us when we were back in Tuano Basin. It's mm-hmm. now, like, it's very multifaceted, even within this, like, war council kind of setting that we're in. So I just like, would she be one of the advisors? Jessica? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think like the Sayadina would count right. as like under advisor. And she's got the Fadaikin under her control at the moment with Paul down and out. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't want to say her control, but definitely. Like they a, listen to her. They yeah. default yeah, to her yeah. at the moment. 
Yeah, I can't. I wouldn't fault you on any other thing of like. And I think she mentioned something along those lines as well. Didn't we say that? That they listen. Yeah, they listen to her. They they have been willing to right. of like, and I've cultivated this myth with them. And yeah, yeah. So like, there's some sort of integration with her and that, and it must also be like, because I'm the mother of your god. Of uh, you know, I get Coup some baby. say. <laughs> Coup baby. Um. Now, uh, oh, I also was wondering maybe like uh, for advisors, other reverend mothers. Oh, that would make a lot of sense. I wonder or if would there be no because the knights yeah. would be the leaders. I think you're right. Other reverend mothers would be within like the other tribes. Advisors. Oh man, yeah. why don't we get to see any other reverend mothers? I don't know, and I'm wondering if they're here. That would be really cool be if they cool. were. Because like as far as I know, like it's just Lady Jessica. Yep. Which I would love to see more of the other ones. Like, yeah, more well, Romalos, if you will. I was gonna say so Romalo at least lets you know they exist. Yeah, and like yeah, but beyond that, it's such a shame that we don't get to meet one more, just one more Frank. Mm. That's all I want. But then if he gave me that, I would be like, and, and another, and we were like, we were another. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. An uh, immortal one off in the <laughs> far really? regions. Um, now with everybody here though, there's still no clue what caused this condition within Paul with mm-hmm. this poisoning. Uh, despite multiple investigations, and which I say, like, definitely Detective Gurney had been on the case at some point. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. clearly we need Detective Cheney. Gurney wasn't up to it. Uh, Cheney She's and- a loose cannon. <laughs> <laughs> She's a bad cop. Yeah. That would be awesome. Uh, Cheney asked, like, all right, well, what do the Fedaikins say? Which I think is very acute of, like, what do his most loyal cadre of soldiers yeah. think right now? Like, what what are they on? And uh, she tells... Jessica tells him, like, ah, they believe Paul is in a sacred chance, gathering his holy powers before the final battles. This is a thought I've cultivated. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. That's Panoply of Propheticus through and through. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I don't I hope like one guy like suggested it and she's like, that's the one. Yep. Um, we all listened to Awesome. <laughs> what, what was that awesome? Say that oh. again. <laughs> and um, Cheney, though, kneeling by Paul, she moves her face close to his. And right away, it's just like mystery solved. And that's just why like, this brings me back to the point of like, why didn't you tell her this in the beginning? We could have walked into this room, she could have leaned over Paul, and we could have been done right? in like three minutes time. Well, there's your problem. We choked on some cinnamon sticks. <laughs> <laughs> Get those out of there. <laughs> yeah, it's the strong smell of spice. He reeks of cinnamon. <laughs> So she brings up that... Uh, this is like the cinnamon challenge. <laughs> yeah, he took a table. Paul told he just went way too far. I would, dude, if in the cinnamon challenge you saw the future and all that <laughs> Wow. It'd be great. Yeah, I, if, only, if only. Or like the, if the Tide Pods... I wish oh, God, like the, no. stupid, the stupid shit that we did led to something like that. Uh, it's so good. He's got a powdery mouth. Oh, God. But uh, Cheney brings up, like, oh, you're off-worlders. Do you think maybe his body just repelled to too much spice? And Jessica's like, we did allergy tests, stupid. We know it's not that. Which I'm just like, that's not uh, quite what we're looking for here. But Jessica then tells us a very Atreides thing, doesn't she, Mike? She has not been sleeping in a while. Oh, how very entertaining. Yeah, and she's like, oh, how long has it been? Oh, three months, damn. <laughs> it's probably been three years. Um, but yeah, she hasn't been sleeping well. It's been a very stressful few weeks. Like, everything's been up in the air. So, Jessica, not sleeping forever. Chaney, though, she is showing a very keen awareness of some Reverend Mother powers. And yeah. this, we kind of alluded to in the beginning, where it's all through observation 
from her life. She just references like, oh, I've seen Reverend Mothers do this. And then it's like, so I go internally into my mind and still my system to slow down time. I'm like, that's not normal. That is not like an A to B connection you normally make of just being like, huh, I'm going to figure out meditation on my own. <laughs> and then like, just go do it. <laughs> really cool. Though. And like, maybe that is the deepest bit of Cheney in this chapter, that she has that sort of uh, intellect in with her. She breaks down the Bene Gesserit method on her own through observation from her life. Kind of awesome. And uh, she asks if Jessica has, like, looked at Paul's blood in that awareness state that she knows Reverend Mothers can get to. And, again, showing how aware she is of Reverend Mother powers. Yeah. Though she has been on this religious track under Romalo's kind of tutelage for a while. So maybe that is kind of to be accounted for. And this is where Jessica tells us, like, no, no, normal Fremen blood. And I just kind of roll my eyes. I'm like, okay, whatever, whatever. I'll let this one pass. <laughs> and uh, Cheney, uh, like I said, she's taught her all the, herself all these tricks. And at this point, Cheney just takes control of the situation. Yeah. There's a complete role reversal right now. Remember that deference of May? That's out the window. Because <laughs> uh, Cheney, she sits back on her heels, submerging her fears in thoughts. I love that's a great kind of love. That's awesome. Right? This was a trick she learned from watching the Reverend Mothers. Time could be made to serve the mind. One concentrated the entire attention. Like, I love it. It's very straightforward. It's yeah. very cool. It's just meditation. And Cheney figured it out on her own. It's cool. That's, that's great. really awesome. I, I wonder how far, like, she would have gotten of just, like, letting her keep being a renegade. Just person on the side of, like, oh, I'm not her mother? I'll figure it out. I'll do this myself. I feel like she would have done what Paul did, ultimately. I'm just like, I'm going to hit that spice juice. Like, <laughs> no. go drown a maker in the pool. Well, ultimately, that is what they do. It's like, drown a maker, stat. Yeah, yeah, hurry. Now, uh, Also, wait a second. So, yeah. Paul, Paul had to kill a maker. We're almost there, Mike. We're okay. all, let me get okay. to the drop. Okay. Let me okay. get to the okay. drop. So, Cheney, in that instant, uh, I think she figured out what had happened and kind of confirmed her suspicion. She might have been building up pieces of this right up until she bent down in front of Paul, right? Mm-hmm. Smell mm-hmm. that cinnamon. But she asked the acute question to Jessica, is there a maker here? Jessica's like, yeah, we got several. Which is just like, holy, what is in the basement of Sietches? Just like they've got an inventory of worms. I'm just like pits with multiple worms. like, And they're all like nine meters long. Like they're not that small is the weird thing. Oh my gosh. I don't know how this works. They're all, they have to be trapped in by rock. That rock has to be surrounded by water so they don't go anywhere. You can imagine they're all like freaking out, thrashing around. They feel the thrashing of other worms. They're freaking out even more. I wonder if they're just moping. I feel like they would have spent all their energy. Like, how long can you thrash before you're just like, this sucks. I'm just like, I guess that's true. What do they even eat at that point? Because like, I still like, you're imagining like angry thrashing words. I'm just imagining like lethargic, just your words. Yeah. Like, I hate this (laughs) spice. Hey, poo. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But, there are several here, and we've been doing ceremonies. We're doing them before a battle. We're doing them after every victory. They're and going I imagine worms like crazy. Doesn't it take a thousand years to form a worm? That okay. So I I was listening back to the episode. I stand by that. But that is like a full size worm that doesn't really help us that much, Mike. Because I feel like all I can narrow it down to is like, no, Mike, it's a hundred years to make a small worm. <laughs> like it's it's still absurd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got I got nothing. Uh unless they're just worms everywhere and this is a real problem 
Uh, maybe there's more plentiful than I ever imagined. Jeez. They do yeah. show up whenever you make a sound. I feel like this is the equivalent of like, uh, hey, like we want to throw a party, like a uh, baseball game, favorite team one. Let's go chop down a redwood. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but so what I was going to get to right before is like, it's in every battle and every victory. And I feel like there aren't many losses so during the games and after the games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there's a doubling yeah. down effect that I feel like exacerbates this problem. We're yeah. like, maybe if we knocked out one of these, we could. Uh, maybe we. Was, huh, what do we do with all this wood? <laughs> Burn it. <laughs> it's like we. What do they do with the worm afterwards? Mike, why do you ask questions I can't answer? <laughs> <laughs> I, can't. I don't know. We got the juice out. <laughs> We already juiced it. Oh, You're God. right. What do we do with the, the nine meter husk of a worm? <laughs> oh, I hate you, Mike. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. These are. I've accepted these things. You're just such a heretic asking questions. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. If though. someone has a good idea, please let us know. It's <laughs> just a pile of worm husks <laughs> back. <laughs> Lost another one. Hara strutting through the sea edge with her worm skin boots. <laughs> <laughs> boots a mango walking. <laughs> Slip, slip, slide. <laughs> right, where were we just, all right, let's, let's touch on where Paul was. All right, all right, all right. So we're down to this basin. There are multiple worms. There has to be like divot after divot after divot. Yeah. Paul had to have gone down there. So, okay. Well, I guess there are two options now. There could be. Buckets of this stuff ready to go. And I don't think so, though. Let's entertain the possibility okay, for sure. this one thing. Of like, say we, you remember those bags they were taking out? Yeah. What yeah. if that's like water of life ready to go? Well, that's like, what I thought last time. You said no. It just was just water. Uh no. Well, I thought it was water. It's the sloshing going out. I have no reason to think it was anything but water. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like they told us we were moving all the resources right. south. So that's why I was kind of piecing together within that chapter. But like. Let's let's entertain the idea that maybe that was spice because I think they also would have said like, "Hey, that reeks of fucking cinnamon." As you go by, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, nonetheless, like if that was like, say we ki- we still have to kill a maker by hand, which is ridiculous. Right. But we bag that up, we store those bags because we know we have to do. We still have to get a shit ton of worms. This is a really <laughs> the chain of production doesn't make sense. But we have that there. Paul could have gone down if it's in bags. That kind of makes sense. But then I still feel like he takes the he tells us he takes one drop. I feel like he passes out wherever the fuck he took the drop. Yeah. And that so, he's just like either with Unless his, he like his, snuck a little stash up to his room. Right, right. I mean the thing is you find it with his hand in the literal cookie jar. <laughs> he is either hanging in a worm pit with a dead worm. Or yeah, he's back in his room with like his hands covered in spite. Like, how did he get it in his mouth? Right, without... right, right. <laughs> the concentrate. If sapo juice dyes your lips, how does, like... Jessica found his body with a single finger in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> Wonder who poisoned him. <laughs> Awkward teenage years. <laughs> just gonna I just, move I do, you. There's just, yeah, that alone is just... How? Why? I... There's... It's got to be so. I like. I, I think Frank was just tired. Just like you know what? I only got a few chapters left. Fuck it. I'll just say investigations. <laughs> like, <laughs> investigations. Frank would just swept that all up. Dude. Put Moadib right back in his bed. <laughs> oh yeah, maybe that's. Oh Moadib, you got sleepy down in the I worm think, room. <laughs> I think Farouk is just gonna sweep away these plot holes. I like. Hey, all under the rug. <laughs> all under the rug. As Hara taught him. <laughs> 
Because she has the cleanest rugs. I like this. I like this. That's that's where we're ending. Because uh, otherwise, I think that is a huge, like, how does no one feel like, how is there no evidence of what happened? Also, didn't you say it takes, like, five people or something like that to try and, like, subdue and drown a worm? How does Paul do it by himself? That's my best, like... I mean, I can see Mapes doing it, but any it's other like Fremen. wrestling an alligator. Like, yeah. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it has, it's, like, the alligator has a top and a bottom. The worm. <laughs> <laughs> I get that we say the worm does. The worm doesn't care, though. It just thrashes all over the place. All right. You have anything else you want to throw in that? No, uh, that, that I'm good. I'm we, good. We good pulled that apart. We're, we're just patching that over now. Now, um... Cheney says that Paul, uh, he keeps, oh, wow. Let me uh, even bring us back to where we are in the chapter. I'm sorry. It says we're talking about the rights at this point. Okay. I just feel like I'm really detached from where we yeah. were in the story. But we're talking about um, the spice trances and stuff like that and how these ceremonies are happening all the time. Jessica is mentioning, yeah, after every battle, before every battle. And then Cheney cuts in of like, yes, and Paul keeps himself removed from, the, like, a little distance from these rights, doesn't he? He doesn't it's take like, part how, in that. How do you know that? Yeah, and she's like, people talk. Just because, like, people fucking talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> they stopped talking, started investing in poison snoopers with a problem. Yeah. A little crack of her knuckles there. <laughs> uh, and then J- Cheney, this is where you were touching the take taking control. She tells, go get me the make- uh, raw water of the maker. And Jessica stiffens at being told what to do. But then, like, quickly assesses the situation is like, this one time, this is acceptable. <laughs> it's a very, like, even Gurney might have been on his heels a little bit or on his haunches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she goes to the thing, and she sends for a waterman. And now, this is where we get to our biggest point of, like, how much time passes? Because, like, either, A, someone's going out and strangling a worm, bagging out some water and bringing it back up, or we have some prepared water we pour into a little pitcher and bring up. Either way, like, somebody's got to run back and forth. But the next paragraph is just Jessica kneels down beside Cheney with a ewer full of like the, the maker water. It's just here. And like, <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> that happens very rapidly. Yeah. So wait, do people No, It's just Lady Jessica that brings it back, right? Well, no, no. She asked for a waterman. Oh, so like there is a there's another person involved. I, so either they go and kill a worm right there or there is a ewer like, yep. Like a great well of and you know what? Breath. It's only because Frank doesn't tell us that we'll never be able to like narrow this down. Of like, can you store this shit on a shelf? I deliberately did this. Oh, I should have known better. Oh God! I bet there are preservatives, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> if it makes you live longer, why can't it live I mean, longer? I think that's the only thing that makes sense to me. It's got to be stored. Stored, like, yeah. yeah, like bags of this stuff exactly. satcheled around. Now. No, but no, but then that. <laughs> no, because then it defeats the purpose of like she can't detect it in the blood. It totally does. So then, what the hell? <laughs> I don't know why this is specifically making me angry. It really is. Of all the shit we've gone through in this book, this is the one. Like this is the grain of sand under our sandworm ring. And this is like we get to such an like uh, a crescendo of things happening. We're getting to the apex of just like suspense right now. And my suspension of disbelief is thrown out the goddamn window because I can't make sense of the rules that you made up. Not only that, it's just like, but where did the water come from? (laughs) You're not questioning the sandworm, the prescience, or anything. But where did the water come from this one time? Just where did the water come from? Uh, Who got it? That's, yeah. I love it. Now, 
What's kind of cool, though, is uh, we get this ewer, and we sit down, or crouch down next to it, and Chaney just uses it like smelling salts. I'm <laughs> just like, oh, okay. We get, we get like we a wave wrinkle it, of wave the it nose. Under Paul's nose, yep. His and, nostrils uh, flare. Ooh, his, no, his nose wrinkles, yeah. His nostrils flare. And then uh, Chaney... This, this is the most he's moved in three months. Yeah, amazing, right? Yeah. And just like that. And that's how quickly she... Why didn't you just tell her? All of my problems are in this one chapter. Uh, but Chandy solves everything. She brings everything back. She brings the Mahdi back to life. She puts the prophecy back on the path. Everything in the universe. This is- just makes Paul feel like a junkie. Like he only does it uncut. Uh, I'm sorry. Did I paint this in any other way for you? <laughs> Paul was high during his driver's test. <laughs> That's true. Paul was high like the first time he visited a CH. <laughs> he got high the week later. <laughs> I'm like... Every time Paul had breakfast, he tripped balls. Like, yeah, I bet people have. Maybe that's why there's that negative faction against Paul. But like, this guy's a drug addict. My God, he sees right through me. He's like, no, he's just like out there. Yeah, yeah, he's so deep. No, he's fucking wasted. Uh, But she then uh, presses her finger to his upper lip. And then Paul inhales a long, uh, sobbing breath. I'm like, you could just imagine, like, he had to breathe in three months. Yeah. Just like, <gasps> and just healing it go into him. And uh, with that, just, uh, Chaney tells Jessica, like, quickly convert the liquid. And Jessica just takes a swig, not even questioning. Like, yeah. yeah. All right, boss. You got it. Boom. And Paul then opens the lab, like, oh, you don't need to do that. She's got a mouthful of poison. <laughs> <laughs> she's got a mouthful of drugs, Mike. Because even then, she's like, Fuck. And like the high starts to hit her right away. Um, but there's purpose to this because it's not just getting Jessica high for no reason. This high is going to uh, illuminate some things that she wouldn't have seen otherwise, which I'm like, okay, Frank, I'll give you that one. That was a good use of that to like put her in this mind state. She's got to get to Paul's level, essentially. She's not there right now. So she's, I mean, like, she's already got it in her, so she's got to change it. And she does it automatically. She's she's that, been she, doing it so many times, apparently. Yeah, it's automatic yeah. now. Let me, let me give you the thing here. So it's like, Jessica, a sip of fluid on her tongue found her body rallying, converting the, po- the poison almost automatically. In the light eleva- elevation the ceremony always imparted, she sensed the life glow from Paul, a radiation there registering on her senses. In that instant, she knew. Now, Mike, she knew. Does she know what he did or what he is? What he did. Oh, what he did? You don't think she knows he's the... Not until he grasps her hand. Okay, okay. I I was thinking that, like, the life glow from Paul... I, I was getting to think that she had the feeling of the Quisachara. I don't think so. Or just, like, on that path. No, I think yeah. she can sort of see... An, she can make out an aura almost. You're, you're just thinking, yeah. like... It th- in the same the, way that she could like see the spark of consciousness. Yeah, the before. norm, the normal effect yeah. of the drug hunter, not seeing anything different than she would normally otherwise. Exactly, see. and it's just sort of highlighting that yes, Paul's not dead. <laughs> he was right. alive. Yeah, sure. Uh, but she is shocked, and she asks um, how he could do such a thing. And Cheney quibs that like, well, he's your son, because like she knows he drank the water of life, right? <laughs> like, of course he would try it. And uh, I, the he is your something. I'd love to just cut so through to like, uh, excuse me, Ben Jesuit who doesn't follow the rules. This is your this is your boy through and through. <laughs> this is your creation, and uh, this causes Paul to have a warm smile of understanding, 
Which is like, I think one of maybe three times we've seen Paul have any genuine happiness in his life. This is a great moment. It's like, I think, to the Gurney moment. I think to his moment of intimacy with Chaney when they finally went to the Siege. Uh, and now here, um, just kind of like, yes, that, that's my wife. And she's telling you. And, uh, and the line that he tells him, I love uh, is hear my beloved, listen to her, my, uh, listen to my, um, oh, listen to Chaney. He's telling Jessica, like, hear her out. She has something to say. She knows what she's talking about. And now Paul recounts that he took one drop, one little drop, and that sent him into this catatonic tape. <laughs> Um, but that's a few minutes ago. Well, yeah, before we get right there is that the Bene Gesserit, the Bene Gesserit proctors could not imagine what he has seen, the places he's been. So I love that. enunciating like, let alone the past and the present and the future that he's seen, but the places he's been, it's like those two parts within him. He's gone to both of them at this point. Yeah. The place that you can go and the place that you can't go or that the Bene Gesserit at least can't go. Then Paul Cameron brings up what you just said. Yeah, it's only, I took it like about a few minutes ago. And that makes him realize what this vision has kind of cost him. Yeah. Time. The most important commodity Paul has. He's wasted a month of it. It's almost like the reverse uh, of his first experience where he processed and saw so much in the blink of an eye. Do you mean in the tent? In the tent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And now... And, like, within that one, we were left for so far in the future, we read a book about our past. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that it's also interesting because, like, that's an outward sort of uh, an extrasensory, extrasensory thing where he experiences everything outside of him, including, the, like, the flow of time backwards and forwards mm-hmm. in the matter of a second. Whereas when he looks inwardly, it takes that much more time. You're, oh, wait, wait, hold up. Say that one more time. I'm sorry. I think, I think you just lost me right in the middle of that. I really apologize. Yeah. So the idea that uh, when he experiences things outside of his body, he can do it in the blink of an eye. Past, present, future, they're nothing. You can, like, that's an eye blink to him. But looking inwardly, it is that much harder and deeper. And imagine how much more he could potentially find within himself. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. And the fact that it takes... No, no, okay. Weeks. I, I gotta just kind of like uh, get you to define some terms because I, I now see where you kind of lost me in it. Of like, so when you say outwardly of his own body, of yep, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. so like we're kind of let's say we're in the Alam, external. Let's say we're in the Alam al Mithal, but like mm-hmm. yeah, he's looking at time and the sort of like brought everything else happening. Right. What do you mean when you say internal though? Are you talking to like about the voices and that like ancestral like memory his own mind. or okay, like within the. Uh, I, I think you could say ancestral memory, but I think it might even be deeper than that because he doesn't really go into the specifics. I think it's even deeper than the memories itself. But is it like a matter of future? Or what do you mean by is it a matter no, not of self? The, I think it's a matter of self. Mm-hmm. Let's say uh, Paul is uh, numeral zero. Okay. And his prescience and mental abilities, that's one through infinity. Yes. I'm thinking in this moment, taking this water of life, he's going negative one through negative infinity. I love it. Uh, I was like, I don't know where you're going to go with this, yeah. but like, I followed that through. But like going yeah. forward in the positives, it takes like a second to like see all that. Going inwards, it takes that much more time because I don't know. 
Cool. I, I love and like you're taking what Frank left, and this is what he wants you to do too. Of like, he, I deliberately did yeah. this. Uh, well, you know, why do I even talk? Uh, I guess I just pack it up and go home. But yeah, and you're you're kind of running with it and making your own explanation for what happened. And I mm. think that is ultimately like if he had one thesis statement in the book, it's kind of like do that. Like, don't let me tell you everything. Like, right, right, fill right. it and make it up. Like, imagine something, for the love of God. And I think that lines up really well for it, of, like, where Paul's been and what he has been up to, kind of in this thing. And I think that that lines up with the rules we've been given thus far. And granted, they always change. Uh, yeah. Constantly evolving. With every Atreides we get. <laughs> now, uh, so, beyond Paul's crazy time distillation of it being a few minutes uh him realizing what he's lost he kind of looks at cheney at this point it's like a like, double take why are you here <laughs> let alone that of like how'd you get here <laughs> didn't i send you north not but like minutes ago <laughs> right um and then paul kind of tells him like yes i was able to convert the water and with that, he's he's really confident. This is a cocky ball. He's like, oh, I converted it. It was fine. And he dips his hand and he pulls it out. And they're like, Jesus ball, no. And like you were just in a coma. He just like drinks it like nothing. And it's such a dick. Like you were in a coma for a month of a drop. No wonder they're reacting this way. And yeah, he palms a whole palm full. Cannot do that. But like, yeah, no, he's already converted it. It's already safe within him. Yeah. So like, but it's, I think it's even. It took him a while to do it though. I think it's even different than Jessica though. We're yeah. like, yeah, I, I feel like... Uh, well, they probably convert it in different ways, too. Uh, yeah, I, who knows about that? I mean, well, Jessica's way was very... We don't know. We didn't get to go No, but Paul's I mean, mind. even going in Jessica's way, that way was very like, uh, it's magic. I'm going to move atoms with my mind. But it made sense to me physically. Yeah, no, it does. I think maybe in Paul's yeah, mind, it doesn't make sense physically. And we oh, just have to take this word for it. I, I would think it would be exactly parallel to like kind of what so? Jessica... Yeah, to what Jessica went through, but... I. Who the fuck knows? I like what are you what are you kind of imagining of like uh him picturing it in a different kind of form? Like just you know how like light can be a wave or uh what is the other uh or no a particle or a wave? Is that it? Uh it acts as both, yeah. It acts as both. I'm saying, like, do you think it's sort of like Paul looks at it as a wave, Jessica looks at it as a particle? Oh yeah. Yeah, because like they're both doing the same phenomenon, right? right, right, right. And we're just saying we're coming at them from very different perspectives. I would even like uh say that yeah, absolutely, because when we think about Paul and everything that he says, he thinks of things in terms of like waves like hitting him and uh probabilities. Oh, I get it. you and, know, I've always took that as water thus far, but well, I love it. Yeah. Specifically when we talk about like quantum uh, mechanics and theorems, mm -hmm. when you talk about uh probability, you always talk about them as probability waves. Mm -hmm. They don't really exist in a permanent state until you see them yeah. and observe them. Hold, hold, let's run with this kind of idea where I feel like Jessica has to look. What if Paul doesn't have to? Oh. Like this sort that of... That would make a lot of sense. Like someone who is. just like knows the superposition of an atom at any point kind of deal. That dog. Just because he's a dimension above. So it's simpler to look at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think we hit I, it. Yeah. I think we're done. I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right. Now, so... Let's go. Let's fucking make this even trippier then. So Paul's in the state. He downs his palmful. He grabs his mother's hand. Now. With a sly smile. Oh, 
Uh, cause I read death heads grin. <laughs> so if you're going to call that a sly smile, no, there was one earlier where this it had a sly like, smile. That was with, uh, Cheney. That's right. Yes. Yeah. That was very much more romantic and like, Oh, knowing this is like fucking gurney. Halleck back the from abyss. the, yeah, this is like a grinning death skull yeah, yeah, yeah. flaming coming out. I love it though. And, uh, you know what I see in this? I see fucking Lado. I was thinking that because we always have the superimposed skull, the skull, the death's yeah. head. For sure, and uh, he sent his awareness surging he's got over the beard her. too, going full Lado. <gasps> Shit, did Lado have a beard? I don't know. Did he not? I know that Oscar Isaac has a beard in the movie, Ooh. but I don't know if Lado. Oh, has a beard you made or me not. question myself. Of like, did I really forget that? I like him with a beard. I'm, I'm the town pitching yeah, no. now. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, yeah, he better. <laughs> um, <laughs> men have beards, right? <laughs> I don't, but... Wait, I can find this out real quick. <laughs> if you're going to Google men have beards, you might get weird results. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, fine. Yeah. Uh, but, so, we just had this conversation before of if um, the rapport existed between uh, Jessica and Paul like it did between Aaliyah and Paul. And we're finding out right now it does. And it's outside of that kind of ceremony. Though Jessica is entranced with the drug and Paul is too. So in a way, they are in the Tau, and this isn't like completely normal for them. But it specifically says the rapport was not as tender, not as sharing, not as encompassing as it had been with Leah and with the old Reverend Mother in the cavern. But it was a rapport, a sense-sharing of the entire being. It shook her, weakened her, and she cowered in her mind, fearful of him. And now Paul, like, he's not the happy-go-lucky character anymore. Jessica is cowering from him in fear in her mind, right? And this presence is sort of uh, almost overwhelming to her. And this is not like a nice Paul. This is a very aggressive, almost like primal kind of Paul that shows up in her mind. Mm. And uh, I don't know if you caught the parallels to the litany of fear that's going to come up here. Oh. Did it go right by you? It did go right by me. I'm glad. Then I get to uh, kind of uh, enunciate it for you. So he tells Jessica to show him the place that she cannot enter. And she does resist this, but it's an overwhelming force that's presence in her. He is demanding this of her. She can't stop. She, she focuses. <laughs> Great, greater voice, Mike. Don't you're making up terms now. Uba voice, Uba voice. That'll take the Uba man. Uh, she focuses inward to that darkness, and this is where we get to the excerpt of last week of this force flowing over her and through her. Mm. How does the litany of fear go? I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. I totally miss that. I think this is the whole point of it. It's to get us to this point. Paul is the embodiment of fear. In Lady Jessica's eyes. In the Bene Gesserit's eyes. Oh, yeah. It's everything. He's culminative in a way. Because, again, they didn't know what they were getting into. They never expected this. And he's an exception. It's everything fucking at once. So he shows up. He makes her show on the spot. She she can barely look at it. We see these white shaped, uh, multi, like forming, uh, growing and shrinking and going over Rings the lights. Glowing, yeah. Yeah. And swooping all over. And she has to turn away. She blinds herself to it. Cause her mind can't handle it. Paul's in there beating the shit out of ghosts though. I don't know. <laughs> like, 
basically on full Ghostbuster. <laughs> boom, boom. Yeah, I have no idea what the fuck he's doing. Uh, but I just love that like he goes through her like fear. She has to turn away, leaving only her to remain, right? Meanwhile, Paul tackles this like inner eye thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we end up, uh, without knowing why, her whole being trembled at what she had seen. A region where wind blew and sparks glared, where rings of light expanded and contracted, where rows of tumescent white shapes flowed over and under and around the lights, driven by darkness and a wind out of nowhere. This made me think of Shai Halud. It should. Ring segments, the glistening white teeth. Oh, okay. The desert winds. I like, yeah, we have rings of light expanding and contracting. Rows of tumescent white shapes float over and under. Maybe those are kind of like the teeth almost. Like, I like it. And uh, when Jessica opens her eyes, Paul is staring at her. He's already done. Yeah. He finished a while ago. And uh, he lets go of her hand, and it's like a crutch being removed from Jessica. She stumbles. She didn't even know she needed that. That was the only thing keeping her upright and her almost her mind intact. Cheney has to jump up to support her and brings her over to a cushion against the wall. And now... Well, think about how long she's been awake as well, and then you get this, like, mental taxation. Yeah, of just, like, it drains you of yeah, everything. Yeah, she's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Cheney is not fully... But uh, I also have a oh. secondary theory on this. Yeah. And uh, we'll I we'll get back to it in just a second, but go continue. Okay, I, was but I want us to think back to this moment. I was just gonna say, Chaney, Chaney's not fully aware of what happened, and like for the first time in the chapter, she has been on the mark the whole way through. Right? She led us through that first half to tell us what's wrong with Paul. From this point on, she has no idea what the fuck is happening, and she's not part right. of the conversation. This is not. Uh, this is my hollow Cheney theory. I'm like, uh, she's done. We used her for what she was supposed to be here for. I don't know why she's in the chapter anymore. It's like Frank forgot her purpose. Right, right, right. Uh, and I hate it. So she's very hollow in his existence from this point on. What did you want to tap into? No, keep going. Keep going? Okay. Now, Cheney uh, uses the phrase, though, that uh, has Paul seen the water of life? And, like, I, I don't know really what to make of that one. I don't know if you've got any inflections. I don't think Cheney really understands what it is in its whole. But, really, even given how much she understands all the other Reverend Mother powers? Right, but it's not something you can just be, like, told this is what you do. Sure. It's got to be experienced. Okay. But she also she experiences it within uh, proximity to Paul. She has prescience. Yeah, but she doesn't go through the uh, entire, like, I can see your consciousness. I can change these atoms and molecules. Oh, you think that's what it is? Oh, yeah, I think she's sure. referring to the, cool. uh, no, the that, Reverend Mother experience. That's ultimately what I wanted to get to. Of yeah. what, like, what you that's, think that that's seeing is. All she is. can say is that, like, that's the water of life. That's the experience you have when you, you think that the water of seeing life. Seeing in that moat form is sort of it, and more so than the seeing the time. No, I just think the fact that she doesn't have a better way to describe it other than, like, has he seen the water of life? Has he gone through that experience? Has he done the thing? Oh, okay. And the, so maybe more closer to like uh, when she described Paul's prescience in storm terms. Yeah. Of just like, this is the closest thing to what exactly. I yeah, know. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, trying to say, he's seen the water of life. Okay. I like that. Because uh, like I said, I just found it a very, a very weird phrasing, right? For that whole process. Uh, and Jessica just kind of confirms like, yes, Paul has seen the water of life. And uh, Jessica, though, is still disoriented from this connection. Uh, but more importantly for her, Reverend Mothers are waking up in her mind. Yeah, this like, is the, what was that? This is the first instance you get to view this. I love That's this. That's really This cool. is my favorite thing. And I told you, the Reverend Mothers are a threat. 
you can't depend on them too much because, like, they're in your mind. They yeah. are there. And this is where the first time they have agency where they're like, what was that? What happened? What was that place? Is so it giving me uh, Avatar Last Airbender vibes? I'm not as familiar with. So. Oh, Derek. Yeah, well, me spend in. a day. Um, it's the guy's that reincarnation that's gone through, like, centuries and centuries. Duncan Idaho. Exactly, <laughs> but he can he can look back into his own mind and like have conversations with his past lives. Oh, and there's this yeah. great visual of like this line down into like this misty abyss of all of these uh, past lives, and they all have these glowing eyes, and they all like look at him. Mm-hmm. And it's just like that's what I imagine with like all the Reverend Mothers looking yeah. at Jessica. I think that's exactly it too. Uh, and then you think of like I even imagine all of their malice moving at once. Oh, like, and then every language possible, kind of ah, echoing forth, like some you don't recognize, some you do, this and that. But yeah, all the Reverend Mothers perk up. And you think, Jessica, we tied her to Reverend Mother Guy's Helen Mahayim. Guy's Helen Mahayim is part of the Mater Executrix, which is the executive branch of the Reverend Mothers that goes back to their founding days on Rossick. So that means the OG Reverend Mother, we'll call her Anne, turns <laughs> with an e and the og do fan yeah uh turns and that's just, right like looks up and says what was that what was that? that far back that's how far back that goes so good so good now through it all threaded the realization that her son was the quisach Harak, the one who could be many places at once he was the fact out of the bene Gesserit dream and the fact gave her no peace yeah, it should give you nightmares endlessly. Bene Gesserit had no idea what the fuck they were asking for. I think you and I are pretty much okay with that thought, right? Yeah. Like, Paul exceeded that so far. They never had a real understanding of what they were chasing. They were a dog chasing a tire. <laughs> right? Or, chase, I guess, chasing the car, right? Yeah, You, yeah. you never knew what you were going to do when you finally got it. And, right, right, uh, right. Yeah, it's a car. It's like, <laughs> oh, th- this runs people over. <laughs> this runs Whoa. dogs over, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now Cheney at this point, uh, again, she's disconnected from this conversation. She's like, tell me what has happened. <laughs> and Jessica kind of shakes her head. And then Paul keeps on speaking, but it's not to Cheney. We just sort of ignore her. Paul says, there is in each of us an ancient force that takes and an ancient force that gives. A man finds little difficulty facing the place within himself where the taking force dwells, but it's almost impossible for him to see the giving force without changing into something other than man. For woman, the situation is reversed. Now, how did that chat? How did that paragraph hit you, Mike? I got like uh, yin and yang vibes. Yeah, like you can only ever be like one half of a greater whole, mm-hmm. um, just because that is like the nature of you. And yep. I think that's sort of like what they're putting in terms of like the gender within the Imperium. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up like, obviously, it's hard not to see this in gender terms where I feel like that's how Frank Because it's is. literally how he defines it. Exactly. It's like the men do this and the women do this. It seems very traditional, right? Yeah. Give or take. I mean, it, it totally is. Yeah. And, but, and then like applying it even more so to Fremen society, like taking it like a little bit further. And I can see it kind of like enveloping these other meanings mm-hmm. too. Um, and now Paul sort of, uh, continues with this idea of like the giver and the taker and that these things are so ancient within us that they're ground into each separate cell of our bodies. We're shaped by such forces. You can say to yourself, yes, I see how such a thing may be. But when you look inward and confront the raw force of your own life unshielded, you see your peril. You could see that this could overwhelm you. 
The greatest peril of the giver is the force that takes. The greatest peril of the taker is the force that gives. And I kind of like this build-up to it of, like, this archetype of the giver and the taker. Um, I don't know if I accept it de facto. Uh, I will, obviously, within the Fremen, or not even the Fremen belief system, but, like, kind of this Paul belief system that we're building. I feel like he's uh, establishing... We such Hutterichism? Well, no, I was going to say, I feel like he, because he is speaking from a, a very de facto statement, he's sort of like, um, this might just be the best way he can like sum it up as well. Like maybe like words aren't really meant to explain this phenomenon. Okay. Okay. Like I, I was just going to get to of like, I feel like we're taking the spirituality that actually exists and he's sort of like telling you finite what it is. Like we're almost applying science, science to religion. Mm-hmm. And just defining it all and being like, there is no other variable. This just is it. Because Paul's sort of the end game for it all. Right. But like, what do you think about the giver and the taker? This idea that Frank's put forth, like let's, not even looking at it from the book, but like, do you think that is an idea that makes sense? It seems so couched in gender for me. I, or I don't know if that's my he preconception. He does couch it in gender, but I think um, even if you were to apply it to just like individuals and like, there are some people that like, are able to uh, focus on this aspect and other people that can only focus on this aspect. Mm. No one can do both except for me. And that's why I'm the freak. Uh, I would even say that Shai Hulud does. Shai Hulud gives antics as he does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely in a way. Uh, I mean, it's a very like simplified way to certain boi- certainly try to boil the world down to. Yeah. Of like giver and takers. But I, I do love the... Uh, but I think that it's not just a metaphysical aspect of things. Mm-hmm. I think there is like a bit of physical repercussions of this as well. And I, this is why I wanted to go back to that other example. He he wanted to take that experience from Jessica to look where the Benny Jesuit are afraid to look. And in return, I think he gave her a lot of his fatigue. Okay. 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 I feel like it's a negative for negative, but I, I do get what you're saying. I there. mean, no, he got what he wanted. Yeah, yeah. And he gave something up. And I, I do... Uh, let me build off of that part where like there's sort of like a curse element to it. Yeah. I do feel like where that's where Paul ends up where I love when he says like, I can't help but give when I take and take when I give. Right. I love that sentimentality over like, I can see that just within a leader in general. And like, I like how he feels, uh, he can't override that power of like, no matter what I do, when I give, I take away from you. Right. Like when I give you things, you, you know, I end up taking away your freedoms because but, you bow down. But not to even me. like assigning a positive or negative connotation to that either. Okay. Where like, maybe there is a situation where like, he does try to give you some sort of boon or like positive force or mental awareness, but that has a incredibly heavy detriment on him. Maybe, uh, this explains why he was out for three weeks. Okay. That was what Wait. he, you, you just tried to take away the positive and negative connotation and then put them right back into it though. True. We're like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're, I feel like it's sort of like, I'm the, just saying it's not always a sign to no, like no, giving is bad. No. Yeah. It's I'm, I was sort of saying, I didn't mean to imply that, but more like the opposite intention seems to come. Like I try to give to you and I end up taking from you. I try to take from you and I end up giving to you. It's sort of like almost where Paul feels like he is. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But like what you're saying is it's a, it's a one for one for him. He yeah. is he is the fulcrum. He is in the middle. And he just outlines I can't do one without doing the other. And I I just get a very uh almost a negative connotation to that. Where I feel like in any case that almost sounds dark. And maybe I can't like put, quite put my finger on that. Did yeah, you get yeah. like a more positive light from it? No, no. I mean, I don't think so at all. 
I think that's he's not saying it's good or bad. I think he's just saying that's the way it is. It's it's just life. <laughs> and I just think life sucks so far for the Fremen. So. Yeah, but I think like when we talk about taking, there's a negative yep. connotation to it. I'm not definitely, necessarily definitely, saying yeah. that like that's how it has to be. I yep. think that's where that's no, what I was trying we, to articulate. You could say taking our freedom from the Harkonnens. Right? You could say that. Right. And then like it gives like um, maybe like a reason to the Harkonnens to live or I, I don't know how to fully flesh out that one for it. But that was my grasp in the dark at that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, nonetheless, I thought I, I kind of like the idea of the given and the taker. I think it's very simplified and uh, I can't help but fall into the gender norms where he does present it like that. And I do feel like I want to dig myself out of that to give it more depth. Mm-hmm. Is ultimately it. Um, I was also going to say, like, if you the, if you do want to give an example, of, like gender specific, the idea that like women give life, def. Oh yeah, yeah, I think that that's the like the most that I could really take away from it. And like, and the, the, like the men are incapable. Oh no, givers. no, the men are the warriors. The men, I, if you want to go, yeah, even just ba- further they, back to like hunter gatherer style things of like they take life. Yeah, 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 in general, what did Jameis do? What did Paul do? So I mean, like, that's another way to look at it too. I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, actually, I, there is a, actually one line while we're on this whole tangent of gender and stuff that I found out of like, it almost stood in the light of like where we are now in time, just like, it's kind of transphobic and it's Frank saying, uh, a man finds little difficulty facing the place within him where the taking force dwells, but it's almost impossible for him to see into the giving force without changing into something other than man. And, like, that phrase, other than man, just sounds very weird. I'm just like, what do you mean, Frank? Do you think that's, like, colloquial for, like, human? <laughs> yeah, human. <laughs> human. Well, like, yeah, I know it's not weird. But, like, you yeah. know, like, uh, we always say, like, man does not do this when we talk about, like, the humankind. Kind of. You know, I mean, Frank, though, has already, like, defined human as something particular to this novel. True. So, like, if he was going to do that, I feel like he would, it would be outright. Because, like, okay. the Bene Gesserit have a definition for human, right? Is right, that right, That's right. what you're building up toward? No. That wasn't what I was building up toward okay, at all. You just meant generally. I think generally, like, I think maybe we're just interpreting that word wrong. Okay, so I, I would just say, like, I don't think human is the appropriate alternative because Frank gave it an alternate de- definition. Like, human means something to the Bene Gesserit. So if you, like, just threw it in here, I feel like it'd be a little random or, like, off-putting. I don't know. He's not Bene Gesserit. Paul? Yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of. No, he's not. He was put through the Gom Jabbar at 13. Yeah, so? I, I think that makes him pretty much I as... think that he has registered them as his enemy. Definitely. No, no, don't don't disagree there. So I would not say he's Benny Gesserit. Hey, no, okay. He's trained, though, right? He's a, He's got the weirding he, way, but he's no, not Benny hold, Gesserit. Hold. Going back to the dinner scene, Mike, what does training leave on to you? Leaves a little stamp of indoctrination. I, I think he's, I would say he's fully been a And, ooh, can we touch on, remember how you brought a bootleg Adab? Uh, this is a few I, episodes I, oh, ago. Yeah, no, I don't. So remind me. Uh, we were talking about if Paul could possibly have the Adab. And like, he fucking does. Oh? You get, what? You get bootleg Adab if you're born like he is. Uh, I don't know how to recognize it. It shows up in Doom Messiah, though. I was blown away and I just made me giggle immensely. What? Yeah, so 
I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Until Scott Glasspool sends in. Yeah, you know yeah. what? <laughs> Scott needs to save me. Yeah, please do. Uh, but, uh, like, I'm just thinking, like, Neil Armstrong, like, one small step for man, one yeah. giant leap for mankind. It's like a colloquial thing. Mm-hmm. I just think that, uh, I don't think that's specific to gender in that case, even though it was an entire statement about, like, how the genders, like, one gives and one takes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, But yeah. I think that, in particular, means, like, you know, less than human. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think, and we can extrapolate it like kind of multiple ways from there. So this goes on, and Paul is going to keep telling us like what's happening, right? Because uh, again, Cheney, she wanted to be filled in on the situation, so we'll get you caught up, girl. And uh, Jessica looks up, and at this point, though, it's really weird that Cheney is staring at her while listening to Paul give this taker and giver kind of speech. Do you, Do you have any inflection of like why that would be? I don't think she can look at Paul right now. Okay, you think you think that's kind of what it is? I I, I think she's still in shock. Okay, uh, and I mean she kind of is going to give us that sign a little bit later, right? As this conversation goes on, Paul continues though with this idea about this ancient kind of forces within us and how they're grounded into the cells. And so Jessica asks them like, "Well, which one are you then? Are you the giver or are you the taker?" Paul, being the uh, this is like his little teenage angst come back. It's like I am the fulcrum, <laughs> and I, I cannot do one I without am the, the chosen other. One. <laughs> like goddamn it, Paul! But like, like no, but he he is right though. Like he exists in a weird state for sure. He is a special little boy, uh, <laughs> and that, that's just all I ever does. But yeah, he is both. He's the Quisatadarak. He's the end of the line. Yeah. Like it, it is appropriate that he's the exception for all things, right? Uh, and so he tells her, like, I cannot do one without doing the other, which we kind of expounded on. And this brings us to our great point where Paul stops mid-sentence. He looks over to Cheney. Cheney looks over to the hangings. She feels a draft of air on her cheek because, yes, they are moving, Mike, like you said. Yeah. A thiam has been eavesdropping on this whole thing. <laughs> and uh, in, uh, in saying this, Cheney feels some prescience via proximity to Paul. And she knows exactly what that means. Well, that's actually what I really love is that it's her telling us what's going to happen. It's not Paul. This is Chaney being like, well, I'm close to him. I know what's going to happen here. And yeah, Othiam's going to run out. He's going to spread the word of Othiam. what he heard. I, I still think it's Othiam. Ooh, Oth- no, you're I was just like, who the fuck is Othiam? <laughs> <laughs> Othello? Like, the fuck? I have so many great words that I didn't have to share until I read this book with you, Mike. My Fadaikin. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. Fadaikin. Fadaikin. I can't even say it in normal life. My Chaney. No, Chani's. I gotcha. I yeah. gotcha. Piter, I think, is the only thing I was correct with the whole way, like from back when I first read it till now. I think DeVries and DeVries we could make a case for. I think it's DeVries. And I'm confident it's still DeVries. So, yes, uh, I will only join you on Piter. (laughs) (laughs) But with this, uh, uh, Cheney is also able to confirm one thing. Mm. He's definitely Lisan Al Gaib. Oh yeah, no questions asked here. I'm like, all right. If but now we down. we now know uh, with the the epigraph what Otham's words are going to propagate, Ooh, what they're going to become. What is that? That uh, he is uh, the man that is both dead and alive. Mm-hmm. He is in there. Now Jessica, Mike, this is amazing for me. He, she finally asked Paul. To tell her about what he has seen in the future. We're having the talk. For, it's evident. Oh. What chapter are we on? 45? Yep. <laughs> God damn. 
And uh, Paul tells her, this is the worst part. It's not even that I've seen the future. I've seen the now. So it's like, God damn it. <laughs> We're not even going to have this conversation. He's just like. But uh, isn't that interesting how we can like see everything that's happening so, around him? It's more interesting. It's again, it's highlighting what I think the Bene Gesserit didn't know they were chasing after. Right. I don't think they knew this is what it did. It's like, it's, here's the thing. It's not even like memories of the past, memories of the future. He has an awareness of the present. Thank you. That is completely different than what he's been, because he has been clinging to past I can recognize, futures I want, and the miscorrelation between the two. Because what has happened every time? We keep arriving at futures with past we can't correlate to. Right. We're like, no, how did I get here? This isn't supposed to be. Gurney is not supposed to be here. Idaho is supposed to be alive. Well, this 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 is another good representation of him as a fulcrum where, like, you can't really go, like, focus on the present without I love it. fucking yes. up the past and yes. vice versa. But being right here in the now and the present, you get a wider understanding and awareness of things. Mm-hmm. And it's the only singular point where you have to be precisely in the middle for everything else to balance to its neutral point, where mm. you're not putting a finger on the scale, so to speak. You're letting it just go. You're seeing what actually is, which has been what Paul has been chasing for so fucking long. Right. That gray storm. We might be on the right path, Mike. We might be able to shatter that centerpiece if we can just Maybe. follow this. Caroline. I don't even know if it's about that at this point either, though. Well, it would be nice if Paul told us. Ah. Now, uh, Paul sits up and he waves. Cheney comes up to like kind of, she's been helping Jessica sit down. She's helping Paul sit up. Paul's like waves her off and he kind of gets up and then consider his appearance, Mike. Again, he's like ragged Jesus right now. He's coming up with that coma beard. Uh, (laughs) You know, he's probably waxen skin, rigid, maybe a little thinner. Uh, at least water-wise, right? 30 days of the drinking water? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he didn't need it. Sure. <laughs> Which we just like, yep. And uh, Paul outlines, like, the current state of the Imperium. Now, Jessica is trembling at the certainty in his voice. As he sort of describes everything around them, like, in orbit and such, right? We're going very big picture. Guild ships surround Arrakis. The Emperor is here. He brought his favorite Trusayer. Any guesses? You guys hella high up. <laughs> I hope so. I'd be really <laughs> sad if it wasn't. Uh, and five legions of Sadokar. Just enough to overthrow the entire Harkonnen family. Or I guess that was one. <laughs> one legion one. is all you needed. Oh, no. You know what? Five is what we were going to bring. But we sent like ten, didn't we? Because <laughs> Thufir was like, I budgeted for five. <laughs> I think. Uh, no, no, no. Wait. For bring to Arrakis? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't even remember that. Uh, I, I feel like we were, there was something that Thufir threw out, and then it was, like, way more landed down, and we are like, oh, I fucked up. <laughs> like, because they no, sacked. No, he thought it was a legion. Oh, okay, and it ended up being, like, five. Cause, yeah, because we know you only need a legion to, like, take down a house, apparently. Take down anything. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, the Baron with Thufir and seven ships of conscripts are also in orbit. So that's basically every soldier he could force into soldierhood on Gaiety Prime and other. He uh, can hold a gun and come to space. <laughs> yep. Get on board. And uh, also, every great house is present with a raiding every. force. Every. That's Paul intense. is not vague about this. He's very specific, right? So, like, uh, I think we were talking about the guild way early on and like how they would. Uh, basically cut rates on people. It's just like, if someone does wrong by the guild, they'll be like, hey, 
If anyone wants to come to this planet and raise it, half off. Oh, look at that, guys. Oh, yeah. fire sale this week only. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder if, like, the emperor has to give a kind of a nod. I Like, this to me seems like it'd be a very backroom dealing of, like, between the emperor kind of and them. You know, mm. when they set up Chome and yeah, such? Yeah, yeah. Be like... I got to give you the go ahead for this. I'm like, uh, make sure the saddle card don't want to call dibs. You know, that kind of deal. Well, this is a, a unique case where the emperor has the same agenda that the guild has in a way. Like they both are at the, looking at the same target. Yes. Like Paul is under the, uh, the scope for definitely the Harkonnens because the Harkonnens have fucked up. They need to try and make things right. Mm-hmm. The emperor cannot let that guy live like in order to keep his station. Okay. And the guild... Even more so, I think the guild secretly, they're the ones in charge of everything. Ooh. And it's like, they, he knows their secret. He has been this anomaly they could not pin down. And now they've realized far too late that they need to get rid of this guy. Mike. Now. All right, Mike. Uh, I'm going to give you a little teaser. It's going to be a teaser for next chapter. Outside of that little bit, I'm going to give you at the end. Oh. The emperor is going to be posed with a decision. Uh, ooh. I think it's either the next chapter or the one after. I'm pretty sure it's the next. But he has to raise a flag. He can choose the Harkonnens, the Atreides, the Carinos, Chome, or any of the other houses. Whatever flag he raises kind of signals who he's rooting for in this whole endeavor. Oh, Oh, interesting. So, so it's it's sort I think of like going to be. Oh my god! It's, so it's just sort of like a. I'm going to tip my hat endeavor. So I wonder if like, like once all the facts come out, mm-hmm. and Shaddam sort of like learns all these things. I wonder if his opinion is going to change, and he will. You know, like maybe he realizes he doesn't have as much control as he thought, and it's like, well, you know what I can do right here and now. Now that everyone's present, I can go ahead and make like uh, I can draw a line in the sand and say which side of it I'm on. Ooh, which side would you put him on at this point? Well, I don't know yet. Make a call. I'm not going to hold you to it. No, your feet aren't to the fire, Mike. I'll let you make a, You can recant it next decision. Well, I think based if, off uh, of what we learned with Paul. Yeah. yeah. With like, first he was going to try and blackmail. Sure. Let's say like you're the emperor, but you, you've been eavesdropping like Otham in this uh, CH. I, <laughs> emperor, like, I yeah. <laughs> and then just scurrying out. I think because Paul was originally, his plan was going to blackmail him. Mm-hmm. Like did he think that, thinks that he could get like a hold of the imperial seat and like a uh, seat of power. Mm-hmm. I think now that it comes down to uh we're going to the big, like spill the beans secret. I think everyone's going to learn about <laughs> spill the, spice. the spice. Like, well, that's it. I think yeah. everyone's going to learn the value, the true value of the spice. Yeah. And I think that that's going to put things into perspective for the emperor. And here's the thing. It was out of necessity. That the emperor had to kill Leto and the Atreides house. He didn't want to do it. This totally. might be a weird way of making amends. Oh, I like Because certainly, like, there is no animosity between the Atreides and the Imperial House. It was just business, oh, and he hated everything. Exactly. It was just like, hey, man, you're making Sotokar. I can't have that. I think we had some epigraphs about him being in an outrage that this you're, happened. You're all about the epigraph. Yeah. yeah. You're on recounter in my father's house. Uh, I think that's a shitty that, house to be in. <laughs> but I think that that's also why they're so important in a way, because, like, we don't have any other way to define who this character is other than, like, oh, the Emperor said this. Yeah. Be careful of the Emperor. Mm-hmm. We only have her firsthand accounts of him. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm really leaning towards, I think he's going to step on the side of Paul based off of the fact that I think the secret of the spice will be revealed to everyone. 
like it. I Gilder like going to be caught with the pants down. All right, everyone. You heard Mike. Write it in stone, and we'll see where we end up at the end of the book. Now, moving on with our chapter, though, Mike, because I've tricked you into that uh, fortune-telling a uh, little bit there. Oh, uh-huh. A dark fortune cookie, if Indeed. You will. Indeed. No, I, I do love all that, though. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to ever feel ashamed of that. <laughs> I, I want it's, like, it's my new worm theory. <laughs> I want you to spend... Yeah, I mean, we have no more worm theory to go over. So no, no, no. The basement has caused a whole <laughs> slew of new worm theories. <laughs> yes. Touche. Touche. Uh, Frank made sure he left you something to cling on to. Um... So we have everybody lined up what's in orbit right now. And no one is allowed to come down to the uh, planet. Until the yet. guild says so. Until because the they don't want to be stranded by the guild. And the guild will strand them. Mm-hmm. Now, Cheney, though. Oh, well, oh, yeah. Specifically also, like, being stranded on the world kind of sucks. Basically, you're exiled. On this, it's literal death. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it pretty much it's sucks. It's Arrakis. There's only so many people that can fit in the air cane. Oh, I was just going to say the Fremen are going to kill you. Well, I mean, that too, but like, yeah. if the desert doesn't get you first. <laughs> yep. Worms, a lot. There's so much. There's no water discipline. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, but you just end up in debt to... Oh, who was the water seller? Back in the oh. dinner scene. Oh, I forgot. Come on. Uh, Butte. 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 Lingar. Butte Lingar. Well done. I've read the book a few times, Mike. <laughs> Nine, you might even say. Ooh, I would have been embarrassed if you got it before me. Uh, but yeah, I think this is where Butte Lingar makes a fucking killing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you need some water. <laughs> they're all going to buy it. He probably charges them twice, too. They don't, yeah. know, they don't know what the current rate is when they get down here. Now, back into this, though. Paul elaborating everything that's around this whole planet. Cheney is drawn completely into the mythos of Paul Moadit. It says that Cheney shook her head, unable to look away from Paul. His strangeness, the flat tone of his voice, the way he looked through her, filled her with awe. And that is sort of like the most we get from her, of her personally. What's happening in this chapter, right? Mm. Very shallow. It continues on. Jessica asks, like, uh, what's the Is that just sort of like a reminder that Cheney's still here present? I think it is! I'm just like, so Frank doesn't forget? Yeah, there's no... She, I, I hate that she has no other purpose for the rest of this chapter. She just like yells out random shit, and mm-hmm. they're just like, "Shut the fuck up!" <laughs> we're we're trying to have an adult conversation here, and like you're just saying random stuff from like five minutes ago. It's like, um, do you ever see that? It's always sunny in Philadelphia, where Charlie takes the pill that makes him smarter. No, but it's like a placebo, so he's just acting yeah. like it. But he's just being a condescending dick. <laughs> he's like, you don't know. He's like, he finds out. Uh, I can listen. Um, I hear in both ears. So he plays an audio book in each ear, like a different one. He's like, see, so I can do two books at once. So I'm just like, no, Charlie, you don't grasp oh, it. God. That's where I feel like we're at now with Cheney. But I love the. I, I, think, I love her I think so that's much. Probably a stretch. Now. The guild, though, so Jessica asks, like, what are they waiting for? Is the guild protecting us? And, like, you're saying, no. The guild's going to abandon anyone that no. moves against, uh, without orders, because they know what's down here. And they know... They have th- to be delicate. Yeah, the spice could vanish. It's going to be what Paul ultimately has over their heads. they know that's a possibility. They just don't know where he is and how he's going to do it. Yeah. Ex- think about that. 
They just see a future where, like, all of a sudden the spice vanishes. I'm like, what just did a that? Future. They've noticed there's a, there's a lot more of them popping up all of a sudden. All of, it keeps happening, right? It's been yeah. very weird. To a the point where stuff. I think it's just it's just a gray storm for them, too. They don't know anymore. Oh, my, oh, I can't I can't wait for it. Doom Messiah, we're actually going to get a guild navigator dis- oh, to, uh, discussing what it's like on the other end of Moadib prescience. I would love. He's literally hiding from Moadib. Oh yeah, it's like it's that good. He's like intentionally being. Oh, he is intentionally like moving tandem with him in prescience, so neither of them see each other, but they know where each has been. It's so oh. cool, and I hate that Frank doesn't describe it in this book, and so that's why I kind of got to leave it for the next I w- one. Here's the thing: I would, I really want to see it in this book. But I think it would have been unnecessary in this book. As well. Maybe too much. I mean, like we're we're running downhill full speed right now. I don't think we needed that. Sure, sure. I think ultimately we're coming back to the politics of it all. Oh, I like you're almost giving Frank like he. This is too much for my audience. <laughs> no, you know, hold I, it, hold I, it, Mike. Gonna, fight <laughs> it, fight the urge. Pass the button. Yeah. Um, now with Jessica bringing it up, like, oh, the guild's protecting us. Paul laughs this off. And he's like, are you fucking kidding me? The guild caused this. The guild is this problem. Like, yeah. I mean, they're probably just like, hey, 10 bucks. Take a flight. More so. Like, yes, they did reduce the transport cost. So that even the poorest house is here right now. Every When he says every great house, poorest. I yeah, take him as literal. I mean, I think the entire Landsrad is present here. I think you got it. I mean, granted, so like within the, the voting Landsrad is only 100 houses. So that's like that's easy to account for. But I'm, I bet there's some minor houses here too. It's like you Who know knows? what? Who knows? Well, now, they, but the a great chance to like get your station up. Maybe the other thing though is that they've spread rumors of what we do here. What do you think they mean by that? Do you think they mean the super soldier army or like planting of Arrakis? Neither of them would be of interest to the lands red to me. No, I think the super soldier thing might be interesting. Yep. I don't think that would be a reason to come here. I think that'd be a reason to be, uh, I guess, more wary of Shaddam, to be honest. No, actually, no. I think that that would be the reason why. Because that's just saying, like, it's entire lands were at versus the Emperor, more or less, in terms of military might. I like. And if now, another house had, like, a Legion of Sardaukar, or, like, em- an Emperor, an yeah, the, army of the other way to look at it is, like, now there are two Emperors. It's like, of, like great. We, like, we can't do this. We, can't, we have to nip this in the bud. Emperor's on our side. We want to be on that side right now. I kind of I, I kind of the remains for, like, whatever wealth and value there are. Well, I'm just thinking of a house being, like, I don't want to ever be opposed against two branches of Sardaukar. Yeah. I would, like, one branch of Sardaukar car so i guess i'll d- destroy this one kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a greater threat uh sort or at of the very least maybe i can learn the secret too and get my own sort of car always that one yeah i feel like that's beaut yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now this is where we learn paul's master plan and i've brought this up to you before and this is something that i feel like some people don't catch in the book you like, you you hinted to me earlier than mm-hmm. uh i think w- when it was uh water rights yeah, water rights. Yep. About there being like a water of death. Yes. And I believe I redacted it. I think I did uh, enough prescience on my part. And then you brought it up again a couple episodes back. Well, you know, and then prescience fails me. And uh, <laughs> I got to tell you the good stuff, Mike. <laughs> We're getting there. Uh, but nonetheless, I love this idea. Well, it's because we did, we completely debunked the worms. So I kind of had to dip into I, or I well, wanted to. I was to. telling you my theory of how you could destroy the spice. Mm-hmm. Was it the mini, the mini pool, kitty pool? 
No, it's just that you send like uh like a poison out there. You somehow like poison them, mm-hmm. uh, the worms. Oh, and I just gave it to you for getting it. Yeah. Yeah, for guessing close enough. And that's or I think I think it was close enough for you're like, oh think bigger, Mike, think this. <laughs> ah, let me blow your mind. Yeah. It's I mean, it's a, it's an awesome strategy. So it's sort of like you make this water a life. For some reason, if we go pour it on a spice mass, it will infect the little makers and they can't turn into worms ever again. And they go out and they will infect every other pocket of water, infect every other little maker. Mm. And all of a sudden, within like 50 years, there's no worms on fucking Arrakis anymore. Right. And there's nothing you can do to stop it either. Once it starts, it starts. That, I think, is the biggest thing of like, uh, and maybe why it's such a, I mean, maybe a powerful... Potential future. Maybe if we had a renowned planetologist around, who knows? Uh, do, do we have any of those? I don't Are think there so anymore. Kicking? Oh, they're all. Vlad, so do you know what happened to that guy? <laughs> Asking the food. Oh, no. Uh, but yes, the water death. It'd be a chain reaction. He pointed toward the floor, spreading death among little makers, killing a vector of the life cycle that includes the spice and the makers. Arrakis will become a true desolation without spice or maker. Cheney put a hand to her mouth, shocked to numb silence by the blasphemy pouring from Paul's lips. That word only shows up twice in this book. Blasphemy? Mark. Blasphemy. What was the other one? Uh, the other one goes way back, and it's um, it was like uh, Leto ref- uh, commenting on something. of like the blasphemous, yada, yada. Oh. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised by the second one. I was really banking on this being the only blasphemy, and it would have been really powerful if it was. Mm-hmm. To have Cheney bring it up to address Paul, that would have been amazing. So I was kind of disappointed that it did show up the second time. But nonetheless, I love it here. Uh, but like this is uh this is what I was referring to in that other episode like a big red button where like I can just destroy everything mm-hmm. that'd be the end of uh, the Fremen end of the Imperium I mean honestly the serfs would be the ones to benefit from this uh, mm, kind of I mean because every great house is gonna fall all the mentats lose their ability to oh, processing. oh I'm, I'm sorry you mean like the serfs of other, I thought you meant the serfs on Arrakis. No, every serf within the Imperium. No, billions they of people. They get their are, own planet back. Billions of people die if you get rid of spice. Oh, no, I bet billions of people die, but the serfs ultimately like would be the ones sure. at the least amount of risk in a way. And the meek inherit the earth? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Gurney Halleck? Ooh. That's in the King James Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, I think you're right. They would be. But it's almost like a... Galactic reset. I I don't think it's a reset. I think you're just turning back the dial a little bit. What would replace it? Besides, I mean, I guess we would just do this whole song and dance again over like 40 millennia. I think the feudalism just reasserts itself, yeah. and that you just change the power dynamics, and that's all you've done. And that once they identify new power dynamics, we adhere right to it because ultimately the one in charge is the one who is in charge of force. And that, like, even in our world, like, all government does is regulate who is allowed to use force. I guess that's fair. It's tragic, but fair. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Paul continues on. If we can keep going with force, he who can destroy a thing has real control of it. We can destroy the spice. I love that sentence, too. It's not the first time we've had it. He who can destroy a thing has control over it. Yes. Like, I love that, though. And it apply, like I said, it applies to so many different things right now. 
the guild. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to the spice because the spice controls everything else. I was, I was going to always point it back to a, uh, a mono-resource economy. Mm -hmm. So being like uh, oil is the great parallel for this. Right. Like, yeah, you can really like hold the whole world in check if you're able to focus on this one narrow resource and you have everyone dependent upon it. Man, can you imagine if all oil in the world disappeared in like two years? Uh, I mean, there's actually a conspiracy theory built around that. Oh, really? It's a uh, peak oil. So it's the idea that there's a finite amount of oil in the um, in the earth and that at some point we will surpass 50% of it and we will be progressively on a decline where our consumption rate exceeds what we're able to extract from the ground. Ooh. So this has been predicted like multiple times though. We've never hit it. Mm -hmm. uh, there is like, um, it originally comes out of like an Exxon uh, researcher in the fifties sets the point, I think in like 1990 something. Oh wow. Of like, that's when he predicted we were going to run out of oil in the earth. Still kicking. That's what's fucking weird about it. <laughs> So Jessica sort of wonders with all this in mind, then if we have control of the spice or rather Paul has control of the spice, like what's holding the guild back. And uh, I've alluded to this kind of prescient cat and mouse game. And what I've just kind of told you uh, that we're going to get into the next book where these navigators and Paul are sort of moving against each other, but can't see each other fully. Uh, but Paul says though that all the navigators are searching for him because he knows their secret. And this is again, like we're not going to fully see it till next book, but they can't find him. That's why it's not over yet. Right. They can't. All they have of to go them. The good old fashioned way. I, but I'm just saying, all of them are right now trying to find him. They can't. He is literally just invisible to them. And it's something they've never encountered. Mm. Completely uh, alien to them. They are terrified of Paul. Now, this is where Cheney again speaks up. And again, where I feel like, Cheney, what the fuck are you doing here? Because she just says, like, you said you see the now. And was like, that was like an hour ago, right? Like, <laughs> at least in fucking Mike, in our conversation, it yeah, was like yeah, yeah. 30 minutes ago. <laughs> and Paul doesn't even react to her. He just continues looking out um, at the spread out present, which I like that. That's all hyphenated. Um, as the spice illumination fades. So that cup of spice he took. Remember how we talked about how he's got a resistance? Yeah. He took the water of life and already that's fading, Mike. That's like already like he's done. That high is wearing off wow. at this point. We get the last paragraph here and he tells him, go do as I commanded. He said, the future is becoming as muddled for the guild as it is for me. The lines of vision are narrowing. Everything focuses here where the spice is, where they've dared not interfere before. Because to interfere was to lose what they must have. But now they're desperate. All paths lead into darkness. Our chapter closes. That's really good. That's pretty great. So what is it? Do you think that uh, because interfere was to lose what they must have, what do you think it is that they must have? Because uh, focus, uh, oh, I'm sorry, what was it? Uh, interfere is what they must have? Because yeah. to interfere was to lose what they must have. Uh, for them to like weigh in on the trade, like let's, let's rewind back to Duke uh, Leto. Like okay. before, because Paul is only on the scene really for Gaius Helen, right? No one else counts Paul as a player. The guild doesn't. The emperor doesn't. The Harkonnens don't. Way back when? In yeah. Chapter when, one. when this, before we've left okay, like sure. Caladan. Sure. Yeah. Because Paul's going to be a prize for the Baron, right? Mm -hmm. He's just a little sex toy that he's going to take. Uh, <laughs> we move forward though. And at this point, like, 
I think the guild knows that the guild knows that if they tried to like put somebody in power there or push the Harkonnens forward, the spice was going to disappear. But they had no idea why. Why all these avenues of the future maybe let or may, you know what? Maybe they didn't even know that the spice was going to be gone. But just anything clouded, they're not going to go towards. They are going to take a safe path because when they fly their highliners, they just take the path that gets them A to B. I think it was even simpler than that. I think it was right. just secrecy. Of, like, not wanting to expose the spice? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's literally what gives them their livelihood. So, I mean, like, if they went over there, if they started mining it, then, like, people are going to be asking questions. In a way, they are with the smugglers, but they're adjacent to the guild. They're not directly for the guild. Oh, okay. So you're, well, I think you're what thinking they need to of have like, more than anything is they need to have secrecy. You're thinking though that the guild would put like themselves in charge of Arrakis. I was assuming like the guild still wanting to remain like they, no, they would not a charge. few degrees away because they don't want to reveal the secret. Yeah, they're, they're, but they're they'd going be the like, Baron strategy. Right, right. But so like they don't go the Baron strategy, and that's what Paul's pointing out. They specifically avoid that. They could have backed the Baron. Mm-hmm. They don't. But I think the point is they don't want to let anyone know how important the spice is to it's them to, specifically. To like, yeah, yeah, to like tip their hand. I at think all. That, that is what it refers to. That's what they must have. They must have that secrecy. Mm-hmm. They don't even want the Benedictus. To that point, to that's suspect. why no one can look at what's going on in Arrakis. Not just for the Fremen's case, but also for their own uh, specific reasons. They can't know the relationship between like the spice and the worms and the Fremen mining it. Mm-hmm. The smugglers mining it. Smuggler, it's yeah. got to be very hush hush. All right, all right. Uh, love it, love it. That's why I think, like politically, I think I've been attributing everything to like the Baron was the villain, then the Emperor was the villain. I think it's just the Spacing Guild. I think that they're the ultimate villains right now. Oh, Mike, you're gonna love to pull us back. What about Chome? I mean, ultimately, Chome is the one that like they're the free market in a way. I, I, I guess actually, let me even. Uh... Let me go tandem to what you thought. I think it's the guild and Chome. Because, like, Chome definitely represents the land. I think Chome represents, like, the the political body. Right. Guild represents, like, their own special interests. But, yeah, yeah. The two of them on the same panda We haven't talked about Chome in a while in the book. Tangentially. They've always been, like, they're always... When was the last time we actually said the statement Chome? Yeah, no, no. That's why I'm saying tangentially. But, like... Whenever we actually talk about, like, the Emperor's motivations or the Baron's, it's always Chome related. Like, what does the Baron want? Well, it's always about money. He Well, the Baron wants the directorship so he can get the money, so he can get the power, so he can get the throne. Mm-hmm. It's all plans within plans to get to the same spot. But, yeah, I think the Guild and Chome are, like, the biggest cogs within the machine, right, that mm-hmm. are turning right now that we're keeping an eye on. Uh, but I, I love that point that you're queuing on of like you're blaming, putting the putting the point in the guild of like this is you this is on you guys. I mean, a lot of it is, mm-hmm. and we just haven't talked about them all that much though. Yeah, they've been playing their part right, right? Yeah, they're, well, that's the thing. they're doing what the guild does. Yeah, they don't yeah. want people talking about them. Yeah, I think it's it's funny how the people that are not present in the book the most have had the most uh, influence. Yeah, yeah, whole way through. I'm liking it. Uh, that was my last bit for the chapter, my last one paragraph, though. Do you have uh, anything else you want to throw into no, that No. Actually, we talked a lot longer than I thought we were going to. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how much we get through on the rest of the, the episode. Let's top off some glasses and pay right. some taxes. Oh, to Chome? Yeah. Ooh. We did mention them so many times. They get a quota. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> but it's kind of fucked up.
all right, putting aside the fact that, you know, we're supporting Chome and everything, I, I'm always excited to sp- tell everyone about the fact that we partner with Audible. <laughs> that we're supporting Chome, yes. Chum. <laughs> you almost had it. But, but there's a difference, because right now, Chome's not offering us 30 days. Mm-mm. Audible is offering our listeners a free 30-day trial when they visit audibletrial.com slash SpiceWorldPod. Oh my god, that's Amazon's Audible, right? Exactly. <laughs> wow. So, so when they sign up, they get one credit they can use to pick from one of thousands of titles, like Dune, my first audiobook. As you said. I always like to say that, too. Like, what a great first one. Because I always want to, you know, we want the people, if you haven't got one. That's the obvious one. Well, honestly, it really it is. is. And if you sign up with your Amazon Prime account, you get two credits instead. Oh, that's so good. From then on, each month you get one credit to choose any audiobook you want. Mm-hmm. Some of them are even free. Yeah, any of the they have deals included. all the time. Now, what is it you're reading right now, Derek? Mike, every now and then, you like I was hitting up uh, Failure is Not an Option when I was playing Kerbal. Mm-hmm. I go back to some that just bring me great nostalgia. This is one I think you'll kind of appreciate for me. Okay. Where I told you I, I lived in Puerto Rico for two years. Yeah. Hunter S. Thompson wrote a book called The Rum Diaries. And it I is, have, have, re- you, have you read the, it? Uh, no, I haven't read it. I've seen the movie. The movie was filmed at the place I worked. What? Yeah. Well, actually, so the opening scene, they drive by it. Uh, oh. And it's the inn that I worked at there. You see it on uh, Calle Nozagare. It's on the uh, t- top side of the north city, of the old city. So the Rum Diaries, what's really great, though, is like I lived there when I was uh, 21. Hunter S. Thompson wrote this book when he was 22. And it's about his time oh, when he's... Shit. So it's like it was super contemporary for me. Uh, I had some hipster friends at the time. So I, I literally read it while I was living in Puerto right. Rico. And it's great. And my favorite bit in the Rum Diaries is there's a bar. It's called Al's Diner or uh, Al's Bar. And basically, so Al ran it. He's the only guy that fucking works there. And Al served one thing, shot of rum. That's it. Rum or, be- <laughs> or beer. You could get a beer. And uh, they bitched him so much, he finally added one thing to the menu, Mike. He had an ice cube for 10 cents. So now you can get rum or beer or rum with an ice cube for 10 cents. And that was it. Al, Al is so good because Al doesn't want to do shit. And uh, throughout the book, Al just slowly adds shit on as his customers like, come on, man, we want a burger. And so he's like, God damn it, fine. And like, at one point, Al is serving breakfast in the thing. And uh, they described this bar is in the old city. The old city is a tiny space in... Um, all in San Juan. And so me and my friend Thor, who I lived down there with, we did go searching trying to find uh, Al's bar. And uh, we never found it. Never found anything <laughs> close to it. I don't know if it actually exists. Probably doesn't. No, but I did find a great place. So if you guys are ever in Puerto Rico, I'm going to throw this out there. On Calle O'Donnell, if you go up the street, there's a little hole in the wall, and it's called Fatty's. And she makes the best food. $5. You get a plate. She serves fish every Friday. I loved it. I love it. But what's the book about, Derek? The book is about his time in San Juan, and it ultimately deals with like a uh, an awesome, political and real estate deal because Hunter S. Thompson's always hitting on the elites of how they're <laughs> fucking over the little man and he's like the gonzo journalist uh, and just, you know, a 22-year-old in Puerto Rico at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, highly recommend it. It's called The Rum Diaries by Hunter S. Thompson. It's going to take you on a drunken rampage through Puerto Rico and there's no better way to do it. I love it. That's awesome. But hey, Derek, what if you don't like Audible? What if it's not right for you? Well, Mike, they're going to send you a messenger saying like, oh, you're 30 days up. You send that messenger back without water. They'll get the picture. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> but you still get to keep your library. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you they... don't send the library back with the messenger. Just the Why messenger. would you do that? Yeah, they're going to give you a little courtesy email. Be like, hey, time's almost up. You confirm. 
are going to let you cancel that without charging you and keeping everything, even that first free credit that you spent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you get to keep that library whether or not you're signed up. And hey, if you want to sign back up later, no problem. Guys, we know you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help you get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash diceworldpod. So if you guys can head on over, let us know what books you pick up too, because I'm always interested in, I need something to pick up. No one has told me what book they're reading, and it's very (gasps) sad. I got one credit that I'm waiting to spend on the first person that tells me a book. You should just hold on to that one then, Mike. Make them feel bad. We'll bring it up every week until they do. (laughs) And that's until one of you goes to (laughs) (laughs) audibletrial.spiceworld.pod.com and, uh, that up get that recommendation enjoy your free book oh boy i can't wait to get into this deep dive let's hit it up do it awesome all right mike we're back taxes are paid you ready for a little deep dive yeah i got a double deep dive for you then a double pulling it off on it yeah technically it's only one where i'm actually dipping into an appendices of dune a little little early i had to pull out a snippet because this one got so particular as like i gotta just tell you i can't keep paraphrasing this story for you okay but let's start with the big uh i don't want to bury the lead here we're talking awesome or every now and then as Derek says a (laughs) thiam i give that a hard why i just think of lahiam when you say it that way and i think that's why i say it that way (laughs) Uh, in the audiobook, they pronounce it as Otham. It, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that totally makes sense. That, that why kind of being a little subdued. Mm-hmm. But so Otham, how old do you think he is? Oh, we just kind of got a flat faced. He's contemporary-ish. To, 31. Ooh, nice. 44. Okay. That Fremen youth. Fremen don't crack, man. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> now, this Fremen was destined to become one of Paul Moadib's most trusted Fadaikin lieutenants. He was born at Sietchtabar during an enormous sandstorm. A portent, perhaps, of the day Otham would help his Lisan Agaib. So it's gonna, we're gonna build up to like the day of the biggest kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Giant grandfather storm comes, just like Paul got the grandfather worm. We're gonna get like the mightiest of Coriolis storms kind of coming on. Right, well, there's meaning in everything that happens. Like Probably. they're very religious people. Mm-hmm. And we coincidences are mean nothing, right? Yeah, we never cast those off. I'm, I'm. It's curious that they say portent. Because usually that has a negative connotation to it. Uh, I, hmm. I I see what you're saying. I kind of, like, when you say it like that, I kind of, like, are you thinking, like, witchcraft sort of deal? Or sort of like a bad omen kind of like cast? Like omens, auspices, mm-hmm. along mm-hmm. those lines. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. I, I feel like there must be also sort of, like, a neutral cut to it. Yeah. Of, like, because, like, wasn't, uh again, well, I mean, I'm very built upon the Rome never falling. Uh, there's an asterisk in that one now. <laughs> but you uh, dare, with the, their dependence, though, on, like, oracles and sort of relying on them casting the future. Even, like, uh, when in Shakespeare's Caesar, they cut open one of the, like, goats, right, and spill its intestines out. Yeah. And we, like, read that out to be like, what's going to happen? So, like, maybe there isn't all necessarily, but uh, also at the same time, maybe there should be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dark things happen in this universe. Don't tell Giovanni. <laughs> we'll see if he shows up. <laughs> now, Otham's mother, Lilja, an efficient organizer of children's classes, saw to her son's education. However, it was Otham's father, Uliette, a highly experienced fighter. No! <laughs> should really? We, should we take that detour now, Mike? <laughs> really? Yeah. So his Old dad. Uliette! Uliette! <laughs> Put a pause, and uh, let's head into the excerpt I took from uh, Appendix 1, The Ecology of Dune. 
So this is the story of Uliet and Parduk Kynes that I wanted to pull oh out. Oh, my God. So now I'm hopping right into the middle of yeah, it, okay? Please. We're going to go in, and it says, He saved three fools who had put themselves in the way of the Harkin and Fist, and he had seen Chris Knives. Now, Harkin and Fist just lets you know Frank wrote this. That's clearly right. the Benedict yeah, the Benedict is a gauntlet. The uh, the necessary decision was known for hours before it was voiced. The Tau of a Siege tells its members what they must do. Even the most brutal necessity is known. Now, I've told you before, um, Pardot Kynes, he saved three Fremen out on the same. Right, right, They're right. They're being tapped from He just, without thinking, saves their lives. And just like, this right. is wrong. Those Fremen... They're too young to know what to do. Right. Especially with the fact that, like, he's seen the Chris knives. We either kill him or cleanse him. But he saved us as well. So yeah. we can't, like, we don't, it doesn't sit right with them to just kill them. Right. But they should have killed him. They should have, probably. No doubt. No doubt. Oh, really? Like, in yeah, the yeah. right? Oh, oh, like, oh, I'm going to get you. I'll bring you right there Parvan in the story, just Mike. fucking lucked into it. He really fucking wow. did. So... Because we, we come back, and it's saying the necessary decision was known for hours before it was voiced. So those three, you know, we bring part up back, okay? Take them off to the side room. These three are brought in before whoever's in charge. Probably a Sayadina and a Naive and some advisors, right? They hear out their story, and they're like, you fucking idiots. You kill him. That's it. There is no other choice. I get where you're feeling, but, like, from the Fremen point of view, no, you have no other choice. Like, you're children. You just didn't know any better. So... An experienced fighter was sent with a consecrated knife to do the job. Oh. So this knife is blessed. This is oh, this is our uh our Snow White Woodsman right now. This is Uliet. Uliet takes the consecrated knife. Two watermen follow Uliet because they are going to recover the body as soon as he kills him. I really like to imagine Uliet as the huntsman now of the desert. And Mike, you know what the last sentence in this uh paragraph is? What? Brutal necessity. Yeah. Period. Not even Istilza. Now, it's doubtful that Kynes even focused on his would-be executioner. He was talking to a group that spread around him at a cautious distance. He walked as he talked, a sort of circle, gesturing. Open water, Kynes said. Walk in the open without still suits. Water dripping out of a pond. Portugals! The knifeman confronted him. Stands right in his way. Uliet shows up with the consecrated knife, blocking his passage in the hallway. Kinds, remove yourself! And went on talking about secret wind traps. He brushed past the man. Kinds' back stood open for the ceremonial blow. Uliet stands there. But he was interested. The consecrated knife in his hands. The back of uh, Kinds before him. The orders going through his mind. What went on in that would-be execution in his mind cannot be known. Did he finally listen to Kynes and believe? Who knows? But what he did do is a matter of record. Uliet was his name. Older Liet, which I fucking hate, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Uliet walked three paces and deliberately fell on his knife, thus removing himself. That's right. Suicide? Some say Shai Halu moved him. Ah, see, make a legend out of everything. Frank continues. Talk about omens. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds like Daniels is writing this. I hate that part the most. <laughs> talk about it, omens. It even has an exclamation mark, Mike. It's one of the, <laughs> talk about omens. <laughs> now, <laughs> I'm glad I got to undermine that seriousness. <laughs> 
Collect yourself. Collect. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you need to Bene Gesserit repose. All right, all right, all right. From that instance, Kynes had but to point, saying, go there. Entire Fremen tribes went. Men died. Women died. Children died. But they went. That's the end of my excerpt from the uh, Appendix 1, The Ecology of Dune. Oh, that's... I'm still trying to recover from Uliette. Yeah, it's large. I know, I know. Right, a little whiplash there. In the that's story, really but... cool that we get sort of the in-depth version of it. So when you gave me the Uliette story originally, that was is that it. from the encyclopedia, or no, did no, you pull it from the appendices? It, it's always from... That story is, like, couched right in the appendices. They give us that first-hand account. I love that. Account. So, like, I always thought that when you told me that, mm-hmm. it was a part of the Dune encyclopedia, but that yeah. is straight from Frank no, no. from the original novel. Yeah, he he just breaks it up. Which is like, I hate it. I get kind of why he did it. He, it almost feels like Pardot got cut from the book in a way. I mean, in a way he did. He was just a disembodied voice. And then he's in this like appendix at the end. But we don't, I mean like, we're supposed to assume that uh, all of this stuff is like set straight or like set in the perfect way because of him. Mm-hmm. And we never learn really anything about him. So yeah. do you think that's why he's included in that no, appendices? Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, the appendix does tell you a little bit. And I get that it's a little unfair for you where it comes after the story. But at least it is, like, in Frank's own words, which is, like, right. uh, that is like, a huge relief Exposition for us. Exposition he couldn't find a chapter for. No, man, it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> Tried to fit it into the death of Liep, but it was just too much. <laughs> I got so much in there, though. Yeah. yeah. Uh, old Liet, though. Old I, I yet yeah, No. But that was him. That was him who said that. What? He's the one who made the uh, name mean older Liet. Yeah. That's really I know. Dumb. I know. Because who's younger He really yet? phoned it in. Just like, ah, Beverly, I can't do it today. Well, at least <laughs> it makes sense if you don't think one step beyond of like, well, what about when he was young? I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Oh my god. Do all Fremen will it be will it be Usal when he grows up and he's older Usal? Ucheni? Yeah. <laughs> Ufaruk? I like Ufaruk. I like Ufaruk too. That's, that's kind of a good one. I like it. <gasps> Usal. No, uh, Usal? Usal. Or just do you do no, U- I, Usal I, or Usal? I meant to reach for Stilgar. Uh, <laughs> but it would be like a, a Stilgar? Oh god. All right, let's even... not get into this. What's next? <clears throat> Thank you. Now, um, from that moment on, and I'm going back into the uh, encyclopedia at this point with Otham's biography. Mm-hmm. From that moment, Kynes was an Uma. Do you remember what Uma was? I Oh, God, I don't remember. It's the holy man. Holy uh, man. They have like a, a doctrine, uh, a doctorate in religion. Uh, now, in the time and in time, Uliet was elevated to Asadis, the blessed company of heavenly judges. So basically, his father gets like is a saint now for confirming Liet among wow. the tribe in this much a way that Jameis kind of becomes a saint for confirming Paul. Do they really refer to him as a saint? Not not as a saint, but like when we, uh, the way Caliph and Orlop, they're not ashamed of what James did. Mm-hmm. What did James do? He confirmed Paul for the tribe. He did something very great for the tribe. That's what I mean by saint. What, what do you think would have happened if Jameis hadn't done that? Um... Uh, Maybe that's a, maybe that's a question for another episode, I think. Let's save that for, like, our post. Uh, I think that, yeah. We're going to have a big post-Dune episode, Mike, and maybe any alternate histories you want to go down, that would be a great time to, like, like uh, kind of shoehorn those in. Now, as the son of a legend, I thought Otham 
I almost called Rathiam, uh, <laughs> came to believe implicitly in the sacred mission of the man who was sanctified uh, by his father. So he buys into kinds because yeah. sort of in the Caliph Orlup thing. I'm seeing a, very, a strong parallel between the two of them where they buy into Paul right away. Right. Like, no, my dad is sacrificed. He, he made sure this is true. So I'm all for this. Not, it's not It's not even about the Lisa and Al-Gaib aspect. It's just that's the way Fremen culture works. Mm-hmm. One of them, they didn't remember it, but they already went through that. Yeah, being the older son. Yeah, yeah. yeah older by like two years. Like, again, I don't think you remember that at all. Sure, sure, but he would be reminded of it in his youth. Like, right. Yeah, yeah, I think there's something to that. And now, uh, in his youth, Otham showed great promise as a fighter. As an adult, a huge man with broad, flat features, he easily surpassed his father's brilliance on the battlefield as one of Stilgar's most able men. Yeah. Otham was able... Um, Otham was among the groups sent into the desert by Liet Kynes to find the outworld. He was in there! I we love, never mentioned him. Well, I, we're going to. I feel like the, it's I think like you can just throw them all in there. We're going to backfill that part. Yeah, exactly. we know there's 40 people in there. We're going to get name every single one of them. And yeah, there are only so few famous fremen. So of course he was in the group. Of course Corbo was in the group. Of course Farouk was in the no, group. No, for all the shit we give Frank for not naming fremen, he named Uliette's uh, uh, parents. Uh, no, that was in the encyclopedia. Oh, Frank. Nice, nice try, Mike. Nice Never. try. God damn it. And I'm sorry. And that even then, that was uh, Otham's parents, not Uliet. Uliet was one of. It was Lilja and Uliet. Oh, you're right. Made Otham. So. so he was out there, sent along with Cheney, with Stilgard, to go get these people. We now know everybody had a secret mission, apparently, on some level. <laughs> and uh, It's amazing that everyone made it out of that alive, except for Jameis. <laughs> <laughs> But like their original confrontation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. That's amazing. When, yeah, with Jessica in the yeah. dark. Like, who knows? Who if she doing. hadn't abested Stilgar, I bet Paul probably might have killed one person. Okay. I think Jessica probably... If oh, wait, hold on. Can I put this into our... Let's come back to the possible futures, Mike. Let's do this in the afterbug. Okay. Again. Because it's just... It, it is just a random diatribe we're going to go to the side of. Of okay. like, who could have killed who? Okay. Uh, let me keep going with this, though. We're very <laughs> close to the end here. Uh, and, or rather, we're in the deep dive, and I want to get through Otham's story. All right, sure. So Otham, though, he's captured by the power he felt in Moadib, and he surrendered to an unshakable belief that Paul was Lisan Agaib incarnate. So kind of like Cheney, he buys in immediately. Ah. More so than I think Jameis or Stilgar. I think Stilgar was the only one to not buy in immediately, even though he kind of wanted to, maybe. Oh, but well, Jameis totally didn't, though. Wouldn't you agree? I it's hard because I don't know if he did or didn't. Either way, I think if he did, okay. he would have tested him. I think he's I, just that kind of guy. I took Jameis as being like No, are, you know, I take oh. it back. I think I'm buying into the legend of Jameis. Oh, but you're right. I think regular Jameis, he just he did not like. Thank you. That did not like Paul. Yeah. yeah the, God the, damn it. I'm becoming. Oh, God, I'm indoctrinated. You're getting ear on. Remember oh. how you did that to me? Oh. Fucking it goes all over. No, I. Yeah, I think Jameis was a dick and just challenged him. <laughs> yeah, well, you're right, though. No, no. Well, again, I think he did it for the best of the tribe. He did. But like outworlders don't belong here, period. Yeah. And that was just it for him. And that he challenged him. Jameis was in the right in every facet. Yeah. Looking back on it, at the moment, I hated him. 
It's sort of like, like if you were in his shoes, you would make the same decision. You didn't give me all the Fremen backstory about their culture and everything back then. I didn't oh. know any better. Oh, Mike, you think I gave you a little cancer puppy and you're <laughs> feeling bad? <laughs> you shut the hell up. That's my job. <laughs> After you got so attached to Piter, all I've been trying to do is build another one up for you. I don't think you can ever replace Piter. Oh, yeah? You got an arm around Farouk, don't you? He's sort of a bitch. <laughs> leave him alone. Yeah, he's terminal. <laughs> no, he's fine. He's fine. He'll be around forever. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's something there and that we're kind of touching on this uh, parallel between the two of them. Where, so Jameis is one extreme. Stilgar is sort of the fulcrum in between of giving both sides equal credence. And I think Otham is just completely bought in right away. Hook, line, mm. and sinker. All right. Almost like Cheney was. We're like right. Cheney didn't stand a chance, right? She was gone. Um, this uh, continues on, where in uh, in time, the faithful disciple became a lieutenant of Moadib's dreaded Fadaikin death commandos. On hand, the day Moadib became a sand rider, Otham rode with the troop on his hero's worm to the Cave of Birds, where he helped to overwhelm the smugglers who had penetrated there, and where he observed the emotional reunion of Paul and Gurney Halleck. Oh. Isn't this a fun little bit we're weaving all together? He's been the whole time. Yeah, he's eavesdropping on every single moment. He's just like, ah, I see it. I see it. I'm reporting back. I'm I'm starting to like Hotham a lot more. He's, he's a fun guy. So this, okay, the yeah. fact that, like, is this from the appendices? Uh, encyclopedia, we're okay, at this gotcha. point. Right. Yeah. What? Oh, I just it changes thought it things. I just yeah. thought it would have been that much more fun if uh, we knew that Frank wrote this like whole thing on Otham yes. in the appendices, and then like we mentioned him briefly in this one chapter, and that's it. But like, no, okay. we go in depth as to what that really means as no, a no, whole. No. So Frank is going to run with him in the next book too. Okay. Otham, this role that we're building up, even with the encyclopedia, it's going to mesh well with the second book. So like, I I think you can buy it, and there's even more depth to go on than the normal stuff just within Dune. Okay. So like, uh, except this one is sort of like uh. Uh, canon, if you will, even right. though we know that is a... Uh, <laughs> Ooh, that's ooh, a slippery slope. Thank you. It's a touch and go, if you will. It's a bit of a slip slope. In the, if we were Spice World canon's a little bit weird. <laughs> it's not a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, although startled by the sudden attack of Ten Sadakar, who had infiltrated the smugglers, Otham acquitted himself well in the ensuing melee, accounting for two of the seven Imperial slain by the Fremen. Ooh, Otham. He took a percentage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, undoubtedly, Otham's supreme moment came when he was chosen with his friend Corba to serve. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that guy. <laughs> but to serve a Moadid's war council to plan the battle strategy against the Padishah Emperor. That's really good. That, yeah, I guess I didn't think of it from his perspective. Like, what a goddamn honor that is. The yeah, yeah, the scale. Like, yeah. we know, we've always just looked at it as aligning with Paul. We forgot to kind of frame it as, like, against who? Mm -hmm. Everyone. <laughs> like, the entire Imperium they're standing I mean, up against. I, this, maybe this just, we keep following Paul throughout this book, so I always think of things through his perspective. Mm -hmm. But I always, Looking, like, towards yeah, the Fremen. Yeah. And I feel bad about this right now because, like, I guess I'm, I'm always thinking of the Fremen as, like, one, like, person, one singular unit. Mm-hmm. When it's like many people, we we use uh, uh in politics they use a lot like when they talk about like um 
uh, if we ever talk about it, like a racial group in American politics, mm-hmm. uh, referring to them as like a monolith. Like the oh. like uh, so just saying like the Democrats. Yeah, the Democrats, or if you say like Asian Americans vote, yada yada. Like no, uh, they're not always a monolith. Like it's right, not right, everyone, right. but you can certainly see a majority. Interesting. That's something like that. I've released before. So I guess I'm treating them from like a monolith, which I don't yeah, think I yeah. should, because like now we're getting the perspective from Otham. He's been chosen by the Great Prophet mm-hmm. to go to this war council, chosen of only four other additional Bremen. Three named. Three named. Yeah. Two of your own choice. Mm-hmm. And then this is the war council for fighting the emperor. Mm-hmm. For like, fi- like the biggest battle. What an incredible honor that is. And like I that did not sink in with me when no. I read that chapter. You know what? In like even for me, even like we've set this up. I intentionally framed Jameis's uh opposition to Stilgar as like Fremen have politics within their tribe, even though they adhere to a naive. But like, even I think I'm guilty of it when thinking of Stilgar and Paul talking on that worm of not considering what Stilgar saw as the opposition to the Fremen mm-hmm. to be like, this is why it's not beneficial for the tribe to even engage in this. Maybe we should do what we've always done. I.E. the Druses have removed themselves from the remainder of society. I forgot about the Druses. They left into the Sahara when they broke away from Mahmeth, so they wouldn't have to adhere to any authority other than God. We've moved into the desert so we could just be with Shai Halud. Shai Halud's the only one we should answer to. We should not acknowledge anything else, and Stilgar should not acknowledge a duke. The Honestly here, right now, mm-hmm. I know it's expensive, but if, if there's any reason to try and get a hold of the Dune Encyclopedia, it's just to learn more about the Fremen culture. <laughs> no, but Mike, no. you're gonna bankrupt people. That book is expensive. <laughs> it is expensive. But like find the PDF or, or guys. listen to Spice World Pod or find yeah. a PDF. But uh yeah, yeah. I, I've loved uh the Fremen culture I think has really helped shape my interpretation of them as a whole. Even though some of it can be a little silly at times. <laughs> yeah, certainly. But uh, certainly. I think a lot of it does add and in a way that I think Frank would be okay with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, especially when you go, what an omen! <laughs> what an omen with an exclamation That mark. just tickles me. <laughs> I did that deliberately. But, uh, he, he's a great man. Yeah. No, I, I did think that's kind of wild. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's kind of dead on. He, he's done a great job, like, crafting a little universe for us, and it's so easy for us to get, like, uh, lost in the trees and forget the forest, vice versa, to get lost in the forest and forget the trees. Ooh. Now, uh... Neither of which you will find on Doom. <laughs> True, but good point. <laughs> and that concludes my segment of the deep dive, Mike. That's really good. Yeah. That's I all, love it. Obviously, I told you a thumbs in the next book, but I got to stop where we get to the Patty Shine Emperor. Uh, I, I can't tell you what goes beyond that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Derek, I can, I can maybe give you a hint of what happens beyond that. Oh, thank God. I was in the dark. Uh, what, do, what do you got that can fill the void here? Well, I've got Daniel's Doom Gazetteer. Excellent. Take me uh, to the stars. A, I've really enjoyed this. I like uh, astronomy a lot. So, like, learning some of these cool facts. And um, recently, a lot of the etymo- uh, etymology, mm-hmm. I've really been getting into that. Yeah. So, like, seeing, like, where possible uh, inspirations have come from. Mm-hmm. Maybe, like, pulling from, like, oh, maybe it was this. Or did you know this about this culture? I definitely did not. I had to look up how to pronounce a goddamn lake for this segment. <laughs> oh, God. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go into it here in a little bit. 
Obviously, with Daniel's Dune Gazetteer, we take a look at the stars and planets of Frank Herbert's Dune, a gazetteer by Joseph M. Daniels. And how they all happen in one arm of the galaxy. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that. I will go into that at some point here. Nice, nice. Uh, I just haven't found the right chapter. But, and honestly, maybe this isn't the right chapter for this uh, this star system either. But we're going to go for it. I'm inspired by what you said. I'm on the edge of my seat then. Right. My best space voice. I know what to expect here. System data. Star designation. Theta Eridani A. Star name. Akamar, a.k.a. Thalem. Distance from Old Earth. 161.3 light years. Spectral type. A43 Blue White Giant. Magnitude 2.88. Absolute magnitude negative 0.59. Known planets. Tlilacs. Oh, we Benetilacs? Yeah. That's well, got to be the only one, right? Well, specifically, it's the planet Tlilacs. But yeah, the Benetilacs hail from there. Okay. I wonder, uh, I'm actually kind of questioning of like, I don't know if I knew their planet was called that. Yeah. Well, they're, technically, they're the Benetilaxu. Yeah. Or I think... Uh, it. No, yeah, that's right. And yeah. the, I'm just saying, I don't, re- I don't recall if I knew their planet was that. If you would have like put a gun to my head, if I would have said that, where are the Benny Tlilacs from? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I would have been like, oh fuck, Wallace Gate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's really funny. Benny Jesuit adjacent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Let's, let's do it. All right, I like it. So a couple of these will blend together, but we're gonna start with the history. Okay. Um, and a lot of this, of course. Uh, I think our viewers definitely know the Benny Tlilaxu, they're not really from the first novel. This is all in Messiah going forward. Yes. So a lot of this, I don't really know all that much about. So I'm just going to go sort of like a base off of the basics here. Okay. Okay. I'll let you know if we go too far off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. We'll pull it back in. Rain it Um, in a little bit. Daniels is going to put me on my place right away. If a person were to read only Dune, they would have little appreciation for the importance of Tlilacs. Oh, this is going to be a difficult (laughs) article. (laughs) Which was defined as a renegade training center for Mentats and the source of Twisted Mentats. Oh, Piter. All right. So you knew that so far. I knew that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Familiar. Yet, from the beginning of Dune Messiah, where Herbert introduces the face dancers. Yes. They figure large indeed. Goes on. In fact... The last sentence of the Dune Chronicles, that'd be Chapter House Dune, yeah. has a sentence that relates to the Tlilacs. Do you have that sentence? I don't have it. <gasps> Do you uh, really think I would look up the last sentence of the entire Chronicles? I'm shocked that he would tell you it and not include it. It doesn't. That seem... is a little weird. But yeah. I uh, I don't want to know it now. Okay. Okay. Don't yeah. Don't spoil that for me. Like, give me give me a couple of years. Let me build up to it. Sure. Sure. Uh, so he continues from there that that last sentence, it's uh, quite interesting because that's the limit of our vision of this possible future and how it concerns them. So by that, he means when this was published in 1999, yes. we didn't have any sequels whoa, 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 to do. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, oh, the, Dune, the Daniel's Dune Gazetteer was the published. The Gazetteer was published yes. in 1999. Yeah. We just had the first of Brian Herbert's prequels out. Yep. So we didn't have any sequels. So uh, Chapter House Dune, that was the finality of this universe. Yes. So he's putting a lot of weight on this final sentence. Uh, Going forward, in Dune Messiah, 
we learn about the disturbing biological experiments of the Tleilaxu and their axolotl tanks. Yeah. Hey, fucking great. Here's the thing, though. Uh, I learned this word from you. Yeah. Oh, well, that's why I thought you pronounced it so perfectly. <laughs> no, not at all. I learned so, it from watching you, Dad. <laughs> because we, we played the Doom board game together. Yeah, and we have the Ben and Klaxu in the expansion. The ben yep. There's a couple things. First of all, they're not it's not even pronounced Tleilaxu. <gasps> it's pronounced Tleilaxu. Okay, that's according not... to Frank Herbert in his read through. No, so it's a, it's an E I after yeah. that L. So like you, in you various see where languages it changes. Uh, that is literally just an emphasis on one vowel over the other. Right, and exactly. Like, yeah, I I lean towards that I. I can't tell you why. So, uh, Frank Herbert himself has uh, read it as Tleilaxu. Okay. So something to keep in mind, and I'll probably slip on that one. What do you, what do you what do you think feels like? So Mike, I mean you've fucking died on the hill of Cheney. You were like, line of the sand here. Where do you feel on Tleilaxu, Tleilaxu? I think Tleilaxu twi- makes me think of Twilight, like Tly, Twy. Okay. And Twilight is just such an interesting thing. It's like the paradigm between day and night, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But uh, I, I'm going to go with Frank. I'm going to go Tleilaxu. Okay. I'm going to try my damnedest. Hey, you're allowed to make mistakes in life. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hate this one on axolotl. Yeah. What? It's pronounced ashlot. I neutral. I kind of. The L is silent at the end. Okay. And the uh, X is a sh sound. Okay. So like that, I totally accept of like, there's so many languages that do stuff like that. We're like, yes, it is mm. just like, I don't know what that vowel means Well, the to L you. is silent and I'll tell you why when we get the etymology. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So go fuck off. <laughs> I hope you include why they put it in there then. Whoa. I will actually. Now, moving forward, now we've gotten past uh, <laughs> that, uh, we know that they have these weird biological experiments uh, in these uh, Ashlot tanks. We begin to get some hint of their ambitious and incredibly long term plans. So, uh, I'm kind of curious to know what those are. Yeah. And if they include any future fighters, I'm down. <laughs> Whoa, who yeah. knows? Walk step. Now, there actually is such a thing as an ashlot. Did you know that? No. Is it a tank? No. It oh. is an amphibian. Oh, that doesn't count. No. What is, what we'll, is see, a, we'll see how you feel about is that. Is it like an actual animal? It's an actual animal. Oh, okay. In, our, in the real world here, it is the larval form of a salamander found in the waters of Lake Xochimilco. Excuse me, um, when you started that word, was that you not knowing how to pronounce it, or was that part of that was, Shaki Loco? That was me, uh, I have the word here. So is it Lake Shaki Loco, or Lake Shaki Loco? <laughs> it's Lake Shochimilko. Okay, okay. But here's the thing, it's it starts with an X. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's uh, spelled X-O-C-H I. M-I-L-C-O. Oh. And it's Shochimilko. Yeah, Mike, that just means I love XO. You son of a bitch. She loved it. <laughs> Shochimilko. That and is that is an, an enumerated amount of consonants. Yeah, it, it's great. Well, the big thing is the X always confuses me because I want to make a different sound. I want to make like yeah. a Z sound. You want to make a very English. It's, yeah, it's that S-H-sh sound. Uh, uh, hey, can we just actually, uh, going all the way back to the audible of uh, the author of The Three Body Problem. Oh, yeah. With Sunshin. And it was C-I-X-I-N. Oh. Same kind of language base. And that's also very... Almost well, it's tricky because a lot... Uh, 
in uh, those are those are very phonetically different language. I, I understand well, no, even that. in Mandarin though, even the X can, depending on what's in front of, can make a Z sound instead of a sh sound because they're a tonal language. There's a tonal language, so they, and yeah, I yeah. will never learn that language. I tried once, and I was just like, Mm-mm. not for me. I can say thank you, and that's it, and that's all I need to know. Thank you, thank you. That was very polite. Yeah. She, she, uh, so, but but I just would, would uh, tip my hat to like that corner of the that's the side of the world where this is all coming from. If we're going from like the Arabic and like kind uh, of an Eastern influence for there, but it's not because oh Lake, no no you're trying to yeah. Lake Xochimilco is near Mexico City. <gasps> Jacques Le Bleu. Now, normally these uh, salamanders they never metamorphize. Now, do you know what that means? They never metamorphosize? Yeah. Uh, I mean, metamorphosis would be... So do, we, I, do salamanders typically? They do. Really? So think about a frog for oh, a second here. Okay. This is a tadpole. Tadpole into it. I mean, obviously, I was going to go to butterfly. Salamanders do butterfly, the same uh, Or caterpillar to a butterfly was what I was thinking of. I mean, but yeah. No, I mean, no, you're, no, you're dead the, on, though. The, the same, same idea. process. Yeah, yeah. Of a tadpole turning into a frog. So a salam- what does the salamander turn into? Or is it something that turns into a salamander? Yeah, let me uh, hear. I just want to show you a picture of what this looks like because I know this is something you have seen before. This is an ashlot. I'm like, that's a Pokemon. <laughs> There's a Pokemon based off of it. You really think I've seen this before? Uh, I mean, I've I mean, I've seen it a million times before. I assumed you would. Where You're a cultured s- man. Where have you seen this? I mean, just like in books. Asshole. Uh, no, I, I don't think I've ever... This is very bizarre to me. There's a, there's a great movie I saw called Grim Tales where they treated, like, a giant ashlot as, like, a, a serpent and, like, a dragon. I mean, like, I'm in love with its face. It's, uh, it's, it's wild. So it's so happy it's like, in every picture. If you guys have never seen a picture of it, it's like a uh, a white sal- giant white salamander with these, these oh, wait, so uh, how- six... I don't like see pink any, furry gills. I don't see any oh, on the side of its face too. It looks like it also has whiskers. Those are gills. Those are gills. Those yeah, are it's, gills. but I'm saying they like stick out from the side of yeah. its cheeks. Um, what uh, is the scale of it? I'm sorry. There's nothing in those pictures to give me like a size idea. Oh, uh, they can get a couple feet long. Wow. Yeah. Here's the thing though. They reach. They can reach adulthood mm-hmm. without ever metamorphizing. That's their infant state that will reach adulthood. That is funny because it has a very infantile face. Yeah, I think uh, there's a term for it. It's like neo uh, neophetic or neo. Oh, I can't think of it at the top of my head. But it's the idea where, like, uh, even in an adult state, you keep and uh, retain a lot of your childhood uh, traits. Traits. Sure. Thank you. Um, and so it's like it's kind of a weird, uh, weird creature. It, it seems like something right out of a science book, and we're going to continue because, in a way, it is. Oh, I like this. Now. All right. I'm yeah. really ashamed I didn't know anything about this. This is entirely new to me. Well, man. salamanders, they're amphibians. You know, they go they in the water and on land. They uh-huh. can do both. But because they never metamorphize, they can't go on land. They're forever water creatures. Okay. So what's cool about this, this species has been a long-accepted aquarium breeding animal. When in 1865, which is, you know, that's a ways back. Yeah. At, uh, I'll try my best French here, uh, Jardins de Plantes. It's better than the first season. It's better than the first season. <laughs> in Paris, which I think it literally translates to Garden of Plants. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong on that one. Uh, several individuals transformed into what appeared to be a form of a tiger salamander. All of a sudden, they just started changing okay. on the aquarium. They're like, what's going on? Now, they did some... Uh, Wait, can I, I want to guess before. Yeah. Is there something that is uh, buried beneath the, like... 
whatever terrain they put in the oh, aquarium. Oh, like in the mud and soil? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Huh? Maybe. Actually, it's more so than that. Something that's uh, a more direct chemical translation. What? Their diet. Okay. Oh. So, it was uh, then discovered... It was then discovered that this process could be brought about at will by feeding the ashalot thyroid gland. So their thyroid gland, if it was uh, supplemented with nutrients, it would actually change their form. That was the trigger to change this creature. Oh, okay. They weren't feeding them thyroid gland. No. They were feeding something that affected their thyroid gland. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically, and I think in a lot of creatures, thyroid has to do with a lot of like uh, hunger. Is that right? I, I, I know we have a, like, in humans, I know there's, like, a thyroid problem can affect weight gain. Okay. And, like, uh, but I, I don't know where the fuck the thyroid is. Yeah, I don't can know. What, I, um, yeah, no, I, I don't know enough about uh, the physiology of humans, let alone uh, salamanders. So I'm more versed on sandworms. <laughs> <laughs> really, I am You really point. want to talk about but, uh, wheelhouse. If anyone can shed some light on that, that would be actually really super awesome. But by... Uh, Feeding the thyroid gland, it can trigger this process at will, where they turn into something similar to a tiger salamander. All right. And I don't think it's not exactly the same. I think it's, like, just adjacent, so they're almost the same species, but they're not quite. That's so cool. A really, it is a really cool. strong physiological change. And there are other great. salamanders that sort of, uh, in their larval state, resemble the ashalot. Oh, okay. Yeah, but they're not related, like, uh, as closely as you would think. Uh, like, when they actually, like, metamorphize, they're very different creatures. But, so, like, they look like Eevees when they're young. <laughs> they turn into total... we're, we're going straight to Pokemon for That's this an episode. an Umbreon and a Flareon. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, it's cool. So, uh, like, where after, if you feed the thyroid gland, it'll lose its gills, merge from the water as an adult newt. And the entire process only <laughs> takes a couple of weeks. That's insane. And these things grow huge. Yeah. Can you imagine that, like, a one-foot thing, just, like, after a couple of weeks, you you change its diet, and all of a sudden, it's a different creature? Yeah. How just, wild is that? Just for that creature to be like, oh, I can't breathe water anymore. That sucks. I guess I'll go up here. <laughs> it's like, just swimming. Like, yeah. help me. It's just like, this is killing <laughs> but me. But they're amphibians, so they actually can. Even without the gills? Yeah. Okay. Have you ever seen a salamander in the wild? I mean, yes. They totally just chill in the water. I mean, but I didn't get close enough to see if it had gills somewhere or not. Like, <laughs> I just assume I couldn't see them. But uh, yeah, that, that's uh, that's the ashlot, which is kind of cool. And that's great. I it's... thought that was wild. Now, talking about science experiments, ashlots are used extensively in scientific research due to an incredibly unique ability they have to regenerate entire limbs. That matches up perfectly with what we're going to do with an ashlotl tank. Or wait, I don't, I don't mean, it's ashlot tank? Ashlot. Uh, the L is completely silent. Yeah. An ashlot tank. Yeah. I like it. I it's like pretty it. cool, right? Yeah. So, uh, going into etymology, we're going to start with ashlot. Why not? Now, Daniels goes on. Ashlot is clearly a word of Nahuatl, which is the Aztec language. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it's old Aztec or, like, newer Aztec, but... And by newer, I mean, like, right, right before right they before disappeared. They, they but there's, there's, like, ancient Aztec and then, like, normal Aztec. Is that weird? That no, is, no, yeah. no, that totally makes sense. Uh, um, and uh, Nahuatl is uh, spelled N-A-H-U-A-T-L. Okay. Again, silent oh, L. Oh, tricky bastards. See, that's why it says it's clearly from this language. Uh, so it's reasonable to look to that language for the name of the planet and race Tlilax, Tlilaxu. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm going to do my best. 
You're approaching all audiences. <laughs> uh, however, several problems arise. Naturally. I have as yet not found Thlilax or a very close parallel in that language. There is a possibility that requires a bit more of a stretch if you want to look below, which I uh, I, I added in here just in case. Yeah. While the TL is obviously a characteristic of Nawet, the X ending does not seem so common. For a place name, one might expect an ending in O or C, Tlan, Lan, Yan, Pan, Can, or Tla within the Nawet language. Uh, however, X does not really work, and the plural suffix U does not seem appropriate either. So this might be a okay. copy-paste for uh, Frank Herbert, taking, like, I like this, but, like, let's do, like, a Frank flair on sure. the side. Like or maybe he pulled from a different language to, like, mesh with it. I was going to say, meshing either a culture with the language or a language with another culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it very well could have been that. And if you were going to do another culture, probably... Uh, Within Israel might be an interesting place to look, and I'll go into that in a little bit here. No, I mean, I've always hit back of, like, the Jews are a safe space to, like, kind of couch anything in because it's where the series ends. Yeah. It's like you bring that religion back into the fold and be like... Because they never disappear, right? That was the big takeaway you told me. I They're didn't still forget here. about you guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I that, that's, that's still a rabbi and fucking dude. It's crazy. <laughs> Daniels goes on. As others and myself have noted, there is the Aztec god with a vaguely similar name, Tlaloc. That, yeah, that it's sounds very, good to very me. Very similar. His name would seem to connect him with Earth, Tlali, but was a god of rain and lightning and the mountains from which they were seen to come. He presided over spirits of the mountains and weather called Tlaloc, which is the plural of Tlaloc. So like those of himself i'm like uh even kind of disregarding that i'm liking this antithesis to parts of arrakis being storms and rain yeah Tlilak. but like i mean that's for arrakis though uh this is uh, Tli uh Tlilax, whatever this planet is I no don't no really no, know this... no i i'm looking i'm thinking frank as the author oh taking like, like i'm little writing bits and pieces i'm writing this, this desert world thing gotcha. i'm writing the sequel i want something opposite to stand opposed to it Tlilak. And maybe building that out. Pretty cool. So Aztec God, you know, uh, king of the uh, the rain, lightning, the mountains. Yeah. What do you think the Aztecs did to worship him? Uh, I think they killed somebody. Uh, <laughs> I think they killed, oh, I mean, would it, would it be children? I'm going to, I'll go children. All right, it. I'll go on. Children were sacrificed to him <laughs> by Boom. drowning them in lakes or stealing them in caves. Gotta say, I wouldn't have gotten the second bar. If you would have been determined, like, Derek, but you have to tell me how you're going to kill oh, yeah. these children. <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten it right. I was impressed. You got it. I you're, wouldn't have gotten got it right. It's fine. It's fine. Stealing in caves. Yeah. I like how passive that is, but that's fucked up. Yeah. Now, such child sacrifices were unique to Tlalak <laughs> alone. Sacrifices. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes on. And such grimness suggests the Benny Tlilaks and their genetic experiments. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means. Do they do shit with children? Uh, I mean, they just, oh, maybe. All we're ever, I don't think I know anything children specific, but pretty much any taboo in the Imperium, they're down. Oh, like okay. they're fully maybe into that's, it. Maybe that's what they're that's, really referring to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you think of that as like sort of an ultimate taboo, and they're like, they probably wouldn't bat an eye. Now, we're going to go on. One might expect the planet of Tlaloc to be called Tlalocan, as the mythical fourth heaven of the Aztecs and his real temple were in fact called. That oh. would make sense. Sure. If we're pulling from Tlaloc, that yes. is. Yes. But 
more serious objections can be raised to the Tlalak Tlaloc yielding Tlilax Tlilaxu. <laughs> that was very difficult to say <laughs> with all the alcohol. That was one take, though, Mike. <laughs> yeah. That was really good. That was, and I don't know <laughs> what it means. <laughs> it's just basically saying that, um, like, you would expect this plant to be called this way. We still have a lot of objections, though, to even suggest that the god is in uh, the origin for the Tlilaxu. Gotcha. We're too far removed for it to be this option. And here's some reasons why. First, one notes a double change in vowels. The A becomes an E-I. O becomes an A. Secondly, to English-speaking readers, X is pronounced K-S. Seems close to a finial hard C. But in post-conquest Nuat orthography, the letter X indicates the sound sh. Basically, just saying, like, this makes sense if you replace all of these letters. And, it, like, I love how people are able to do that with what Frank has set up. And, I mean, honestly, it's only because Frank passed so early that we can't get these fucking finite answers from him. Uh, but I, I think a lot of times, if it gets that complicated, I can't imagine that's how he arrived at the answer. Yeah. Because, no. like, there's so many other very clear cut where, like, oh, it was just this on top of this. And I don't think Frank ever got too much more elaborate. It's what it did was like it meshes so well. It's sometimes hard to see the seams between the two unrelated uh, things that he's fused together. And I think ultimately that was his stretch. He was talking about where like this might be that, where you're coming from, but like you're really butchering it to make it happen. And if you're writing as an author, it could be right. And it's did. sort of like Daniel. He's he's got no other choice though. Yeah. He's got to take the shot in the dark. Yeah, he goes on. Etymologically, that seems very difficult. Hell we yeah. are talking about a work of fiction. It only has to seem right to the author. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's basically just like, put a pin in it. I don't I know. I don't know. I don't know. But, <laughs> but, I, but I wrote this article, and I don't want you to not think I did nothing <laughs> for three hours. Herbert, by the way, pronounced the name of Tlilaxu as... Tlilaxu, mm. like I've been trying to be consistent with. You've been good. Uh, as, for example, in his uh, recordings of Heretics of Doom. Now, we also have to contend with the Benny part of Tlilaxu. Yeah. Tlilaxu, god damn it. Oh, it's going to be hard. Oh, you slipped. You, well, you, you've indoctrinated me. It doesn't matter, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try my best to be Frank his original. Frank is dead. <laughs> He's the only one who knew. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Benny Tlilaxu. The Benny Tlilax. So the now, Benny being a carryover from like the Benny Gesserit or some well, association? Possibly. Right. And that's why I went back, I gave Israel as an example uh, with Jews. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Given the revelations of the fifth and sixth books of the Dude Chronicles, which I have very little to say on, one would suppose the Tlilaxu would have gone for the Semitic Benny, B-E-N-I, or B'nai, B-N-A-I. Tlilax. That is, uh, in uh, I think in Hebrew, it would mean sons of Tlilax. Yeah. Uh, do you know the difference between Semitic and Gentile? Uh, no, tell me. So Semitics are Jews. Gentiles are like the non-Jews. Oh, easy enough. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> well, you think anti-Semitic? Yeah. Is, like, against Judaism. That makes sense. Uh, and then, like, I think um, I, this is something I just learned this, I think, within, like, it must have been the past two years or so. But uh, do you ever listen to the Fugees? Uh, no. You know, uh, it's like Clef Jean and Lauren Hill. It's a great album that came out of the 90s of hip-hop. But one of the things that Lauren Hill raps in it is, like, whether Jew or Gentile, and, like, the lyrics go on. And I've, I've, I was always like, 
that seems a little weird. But like, no, that is because uh, the song is eventually about like uh, Mount Zion and about how Zion is coming. And like, mm-hmm. they kind of back that whole thing. Uh, and that was just where I kind of learned the whole thing. So like Gentile is just like all of us, like the Christians are Gentiles. Gotcha. Yeah. Because they're just non-Jewish. Exactly. That, okay. Makes and sense. I love it. Some lights are them. I love that. Um, going on with what Daniel said. So like, it's interesting that like that could be a possible uh, origin for this. And we know that the Jewish religion has, you know, soldiered on throughout this universe. Hell yeah. So it's entirely possible. Benny, Benet, however you want to say it. He goes on to suggest that maybe they originally did do this. But the false analogy with the name of the Bene Gesserit being B-E-N-E had possibly corrupted the uh, Jewish Bene from B-E-N-I to B-E-N-E. So if I could just pronounce those separately, it would be like sort of like saying Bene, like B-E-N-I to Bene, B-E-N-E. I don't, they might even be pronounced the same exact way, but spelled differently, but because they mean different things in different languages. Oh, okay. But you, because, like, hey, you're in a resonation, you do weird things. You must be like the Bene Gesserit. So they started spelling it the way the Bene Gesserit did. Sure, sure. Okay. And, and this is just colloquially with everyone else until eventually, maybe after a few millennia, it what they are called the hey. Bene Tlilaxu. Yeah. It's with all, the time is a flat circle, Mike. Uh, just an interesting way to look at it. And, uh, Daniels goes on to say that I greatly prefer this explanation to an attempt to find Semitic origins for the Bene Gesserit. A perfectly good Latin phrase, she will have conducted herself well. Oh, yeah. So I knew it as um, done well. Ah. As uh, a reference to sort of like the breeding program the Bene Gesserit were on. This hints at she will have given birth well if to supply the Kwisatch Haderach as the implied object of the Yep, yep. Yeah. 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 Of everything the Bene Gesserit are after. Well, implied by the object of the verb Jero. Or uh, Jero. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I was like, Jero, what the fuck you mean? Well, basically, for the Bene Gesserit. Yeah. Gesserit. Got you. So, very cool. Yeah. Some things that I did not even consider or think about. So. I'm sorry. Did we never touch on Bene Gesserit being well done? No. I'm so sorry, sir. Uh, I definitely read that when we started this whole project. Maybe I just didn't like uh, I might internalize not, it. I might have not felt conf- confident enough articulating it to you. That's entirely possible. But very cool. Isn't that kind of sweet? Yeah. And I like. I really do like to think that uh, they had different roots, but because those words were similar enough, the rest of society just sort of blended them together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. And I think that's a, that's a good take from Daniels. Yeah. Um, this is kind of weird. Uh, this is very much in line with uh, last week when Jessica's was like, hmm, yeah, Cave of Birds was a good choice. <laughs> oh, yes, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> the Tlaloc of Mexican mythology were dwarves. <laughs> I don't know why that matters. Perhaps when Herbert describes the Tlilaxu master as an elfin figure barely a meter and a half tall, he's telling us something more than just his height. Ooh, okay. I, I dig it. I one, dig what he's saying at. One also recalls a reference to the face dancers and little people from the suspected artisan planets of the Tlilaxu. That's from Chapter House Dune. I don't know. Sure, sure. No, no. Uh, so there is like this. Uh, Are they short? No, I, I was going to build up. There's sort of like this idea of like uh, you don't know what their natural form is. Almost like a, a doppelganger kind of shit. Uh, chame- chameleon. Chameleon. They're okay. like a human chameleon. Uh, at one point, so when we get into Doom Messiah, the character is actually going to shift his form during a meeting. 
Oh. And he's going to go from this one form to like a fatter form that is more uh, less assuming because he wants to. Are they human? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's Frank. He's going uh, <laughs> to. Mike, we're going to take a normal thing and we're going to take it to the extreme. Okay. That's all we're doing here. All right. Uh, so like uh, that, ben, that Benny Tleilaxu, yeah. well, uh, he'll give you the explanation firsthand too when we're in that. Nick, uh, you had trouble with Cheney. We're getting you on board Cheney all the time. We can do Tleilaxu. Hey, Fadaikin. I'm, I'm here. I'm here, Mike. I'm on board. Doesn't it's take very much. cool though. I like that. And yeah, of course, my final thing, our place in space. Yes. Tell me where we are next no. door to Caladan. The planet Tleilax is the lone planet of the star Thalum. Oh, okay. When I discovered the Beta Eridani, usually known as Cursa, also has been called Dalum in the past, I assumed I had the right identification. The dental and avalar plosives are, after all, easily exchanged. That's just ba- basically saying the uh, different vowels and the sounds they make okay. yeah, are yeah. very similar. Oh, I, I only am tangentially aware of what you, the words you just used. Okay. Because I read that language section in the uh, the Fremen <laughs> thing. And uh, there's a podcast I listen to called uh, Lexicon Valley, uh, where the guy actually, it's all about language and how oh. language is in flux. But yeah, so the dental, it's talking about literally how you form the verbs exactly. with your mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like there's things that use the upper part of your mouth, the lower part of your mouth. Uh, and based the on the dental- sound they make, they'll be like classified differently as well, like with a plosive. Yeah, so like it's the dental, it's when your tongue goes towards your teeth, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah! Ah, my- Derek! Hey, I know a few I love things. That. Okay, it. I'm going to get rid of that next chat, uh, next paragraph then, so. Sweet! <laughs> Don't need to do that. And with a plosive, it's uh, anything that creates a lot of air when you make the sound. Yes, so uh, we used to have some screens over our mics. We still specifically do. Specifically for plosives. We still do if you look in front of you. Oh, and windscreen. It's not a. Uh, it's true. You've changed it. We upgraded, but nonetheless, yeah, it does the same function, yeah. right? Of it basically just this, prevents like, wind from getting blown into the microphone and making a. Where you're making this P sound, like yeah. without in your mouth, you're gonna force a large arrow where you don't P's, want that. These are a big one too. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. But yeah, very cool. I love that. And yeah. uh, I like how a uh, phonetic displosive is. Yeah. Moving on, though. Yes. Uh, it seems, however, that the name Thalum, Arabic Al-Thalum, meaning the ostrich, better belongs to the Theta Eridani. <laughs> the ostrich. The ostrich. Didn't see that yeah. coming. Who knows, man? We got some other good ones. We got the, the kangaroo mouse and the ostrich. Yeah, so that's why we sort of suggested maybe it belongs uh, to Eridani. Now, let's look at the constellation of Eridanus, uh, also known as the Celestial River. Okay, don't we have a few other planets in this constellation? I believe... Didn't we do Eridani A? I, we did. I think it was... I want to say Ix and Rachis were in Eridani. Okay, that sounds close enough to me. Yeah. So, pretty cool. It's it's uh, known as the Celestial River, associated with various streams, mythical and real, like uh, the Ocean Stream, the Euphrates, uh, the Nile, even. Is this because it's in, like, the Milky Way kind of stream in our sky? I actually don't know quite enough about the history of Eridanus. Um, it could also be that, like, maybe one uh, one culture named it the river or the ocean, and then that moved on and was integrated by another one, mm. gentrified by another one. Sure. And so it just sort of became a theme. But, yeah. like, it all related to that specific culture's unique uh, religion or mythos. Yeah. But like that's why they all have a common thread, and that's where that's where I would go with that. 
I can totally see that where, like, uh, even to this day, we still refer to parts of the moon as, like, the sea of uh, yeah, whatever, like, exactly. the, the basins of the moon. So I love that. So in modern times, Eridanus stretches from Cursa, which we mentioned briefly, to Akernar, a name derived from the Arabic Al-Ahir Al-Nar, which literally translates to the end of the river. Oh, which okay. is kind of cool. So, like from the top to the bottom, yeah, the bottom one being. The- you said it's Al Ahir Nadar, Al Ahir Al Nar, Al Nar. Okay. Um, the there's a word. Uh, have you ever heard the word zenith? Yeah, of course. That's the pinnacle. A peak, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also a famous clock company from the 20s. It's specific to the sun, though. Who is it? It's a sun zenith. Otherwise, it would be like an apex or a crest. Oh, do you know the term nadir? No, that's the opposite of a zenith. Oh, I did not know that. Which is like very similar to the words oh. you just kind of mentioned there. Of like Nadir is the bottom point. Interesting. I'm, no, it's pronounced. It's uh here. It's Al Ahir Al Nar. Al yeah, but so it's uh, the Al Nar. I'm here. It's kind of like Nadir. Interesting. Yeah. I just I mean that's very tangential. Like, carry yeah, on. Yeah, sure. Sorry. Sure. It was not always so though. In the past, in ancient times, Eridanus reached only to Theta Eridani. It is not surprising then that its proper name, Akamar, is another form of Akinar's name. I, uh, I'm i a little lost on it. Do you know what you just said there? So basically it's saying, oh, you know how we've talked about in the past how constellations change over time? Yes. And like maybe one constellation represented one thing or had different stars at another time? Yeah. Um, this is saying that... Uh, Eridani Theta. A Theta Eridani was actually the end of the river. Okay. Yeah, okay. So you're literally saying like this star was once seen as this star. Exactly. They, they've shifted in the constellation. Right. And then giving that sort of moniker name in a way. Okay. Okay. And that's, yeah. It's not surprising then that his proper name is another form of end of the river. Because it would have been this other star. it would star. have been at another time. Awesome. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And like, now he's he traced- does a lot of work into looking at the differences between like star charts. Yeah. And, and we, we touched on this ever so slightly where I, I could just barely tie this to do like, yes, the Zodiac shifted at one point mm-hmm. and like in ancient, it still will in ancient, well, just in ancient Babylon, the Zodiac that they established is not the one we have now. Right. And you would be a different star entirely, mm-hmm. but carry on. Uh, Akmar is in fact a binary star. Aren't they all? Aren't they all? <laughs> and I have arbitrarily chosen the primary star of this system as the son of Slelax. That is the boldest statement Daniel's ever made yet. <laughs> it, I think it, I don't know. I think it's just the uh, the bigger one. The sure. one that has the better gravitational uh, authority. I'd like that it is like arbitrarily. I'm just like, it just, just comes down to, I don't really know, but it's the same system. If we're measuring light years, it's the same. Yeah. Yeah. At a distance of about 161 light years from old Earth, it hardly fits the encyclopedia's description of an isolated planet <laughs> or hard to reach. And I'm saying this all with air quotes because Daniels really likes to go with air quotes when it comes to like Frank. Really? I love it. Love it. Uh, once again, see Ix and Richie's for more on these isolated planets. I feel like even I'm getting to that point. Yeah. <laughs> This seems to be an ill-founded attempt to explain why a technologically oriented planet survived the Butlerian Jihad. Perhaps it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, that just... He's that, right, though. That really was like, uh, it was it was too open and straight-faced. <laughs> like, that's exactly what happened, wasn't it? And uh, he just goes on. He, he, he's just going to end the conversation, Derek. Perhaps in this case, it would be better to look to random chances. 
I think I'd get along really well with Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> She's like right there with you, buddy. Uh, and that's what I have for Clylax. <laughs> Mike. Clylax. Beautiful journey. <laughs> really well, well crafted. That was a, I'm glad we went through that. It was good. It was good. Uh, Daniel, you landed strong, too. I'm <laughs> just oh like, he's, he's a fucking liar. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing for this guy. I've done more work than he did. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think in a way Daniel has. Maybe he has. Honestly. It's just really tr- good. Trying to patch that it's shit really together. It's really good. Um, I haven't heard from our little friend. Neither of us really messaged him and let him know the change, so... I gotta admit, Mike, I was just kind of playing it, but I was like, maybe he'll follow us. <laughs> he's, he's a smart bat. Um, he's knocking on my window at home. I hope to God Megan's home so she can <laughs> open the not. door at your house. So. Oh, no. Well, We're gonna have a pissed bat next week. Uh, I think that kind of does it then. Maybe you have a question for us. Maybe if you know a wine we can afford, maybe a bat we can pick up <laughs> oh, on no. second hand. Let us know we're at Spice World Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can always send us a distrans at spiceworldpod at gmail.com. And of course, there's our website at spiceworldpod.com. And if you're looking for a way to support the show, come join us at our little sketch at patreon.com slash spiceworldpod. It's where you can find our exclusive bonus episodes between two dunes, like Ampoleros, Guild Highliners, Norma Sevna, and... Oh, you've knocked out all my favorite ones, Mike, but I want to actually tease the one we're coming up to. Uh, it's going to be, I think, out by the time this one comes out, we're doing Famous Harkonnens. Yep. Going through the list. I got oh, a yeah. great bit, a little uh, tidbits on each one of them, and I've tried to find some uh, uh, allusions to history that they could possibly Ooh, be based on. Have you found the baddest of the bad? Uh, well, that is the Harkonnens in general. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, you know what? I will say, it was a woman, and I think I did find the worst one. Ooh. I think it was her, and I might regret this, but I'm I'm going to die on this hill, I think. Okay. I'm, I'm All right. Planted, like planted my maker hook here. <laughs> well, tell me, Derek. Next week, we're going super hard and fast down this hill. Yeah. What What's the next chapter going to be about? What are we looking at? Um. Well, me, you know the Arrakis crisis coming to a head. Yeah. You know we have a Baron chapter coming up because I told we gotta, you we yeah. get one. Yep. Yep. There's only th- three chapters left. You told me I have a Baron line that I got to save for the Baron. Well, it's not going to be this one. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! An old trick, my Duke. They thought to burden us with refugees. This is Gurney Halleck talking. <laughs> okay, I figured. It's been a long time since gorillas were effective that the mighty have forgotten how to fight them, Paul said. The Sadokar have played into our hands. They grabbed some city women for their sport, decorated their battle standards with the head of the men who objected, and they've built up a fever of hate among people who otherwise would have looked on the coming battle as no more than a great inconvenience. Hmm and the possibility of exchanging one set of masters for another. The Sadokar ref- recruit for us, Stilgar. Damn. So that's Paul speaking. And Gurney's obviously there. Stilgar's obviously there. This is War Council. Yeah. Or kind of. Or they out in it, even. Uh, no, I'm kind of like, is this the War Council it never was? Uh, no. But no, we're definitely assessing the scene right now. So we said Raban has already made these overtures of peace. Yeah. He's doubled back on that. He's trying to well, cross- save face. Everyone's watching. He's crushing them all, and all they're doing is all running to the Fremen to back them. They're swelling the ranks of the Fremen, Mike, as we reach oh. the twilight of this crisis, the apex of this book, <laughs> and everything kind of comes to an end. That's really good. Yeah, but I think until then... 
the spice must flow. You didn't get a little Giovanni? No. Do you want? There's a window right behind you. Do you want to open that up? Oh, it's locked. Yeah. It's the oh, I, I, I don't think actually that, don't I think, actually open it. I think right. that door is or I think that window's just stuck. No, no, no I mean like don't actually oh. open my window. That window, if you open that fucking comes out like a guillotine. <laughs> like you can't open that window. I was a little alarmed as you kept trying. I'm like you're gonna hurt yourself. <laughs> you did, you didn't seem like you tried hard enough to be like Mike stop. <laughs> no, no, it's when you, it's when you lift the bottom that the trouble really starts. Um.